Welcome to Ludicrously Specific, an audio podcast distributed via the internet that discusses three feature-length motion pictures that share an unlikely or obscure connection. I'm Doug, and my favorite driving movie is Vanishing Point. I'm Darren, and my favorite vanishing driving movie (laughs) is Race with the Devil. Good one. And I'm Steve, and my favorite driving movie is Vanishing Point, 1971 version, of course. Next, what do you think I was talking about? Is there another version? (laughs) There was a remake of it. Why? Um, uh, I don't honestly know. Money, I'm assuming. I'm out here in a field on my own, (laughs) and I love it. Your your movie is good, though. I have seen that with you, and that's a fantastic film, but it's no Vanishing Point. I almost went with (laughs) Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, or Two Lame Blacktop. Those are my second and third uh, options. But uh, it's interesting how we're all locked in the 70s with that. 70s were driving movies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, muscle cars, you know, if, if you've ever heard muscle cars in person and then you hear them on the screen, it's pretty much the same thing. Your ears, eardrums basically get caved in the back of your skull as they go past. Have you seen Pit Stop, by the way? Oh, yes. Pit Stop, yes. Yeah, that's another terrific one. And we'll explain why we're talking about driving movies later. Later. Um, mm. But this Stay is tuned. the first <laughs> ludicrously specific of 2021. Um, we, despite last year, I don't know if you guys heard anything about 2020, but it wasn't really a normal year. But <laughs> we don't need to go into that. You can you can look up on the Internet if you're wondering why exactly. it wasn't that way. Yeah, but um, it, was, it, was a, it was a strange one. We did get through 11 episodes, though, which wasn't exactly our one every two week plan. <laughs> nine, nine of them with, with audio you can actually understand, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. And one with audio which is kind of... Well, that know, was our inaugural year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was my living in the well year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we'll stay out of the well this year and um, fingers crossed for uh, strong borders and scan your bloody um, QR codes people <laughs> in New Zealand and um, wear a mask just yeah. wear a mask yes I mean seriously they're cool you know yeah. <laughs> nobody cares you are until you put the mask on just pretend you're a bank robber <laughs> I, saw, I saw widows last night they wore heaps of masks in that and they got m- money while they were doing it so you know I mean there is advantages nice. there, yeah there are people who just haven't thought the benefits of it through <laughs> well think about it dollar dollar bills y'all <laughs> please never do that again <laughs> I can't promise that <laughs> Our New Year's resolution of civility has already fallen. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> That's right. Um, so hopefully um, our plan for this year is to go monthly. Uh, we'll see how that works out, but that seems a bit more sustainable. Um, and we'll do the same thing we've been doing the last few times, which is spend the first half of the show chatting about what we've been watching and then go into our actual topic. Um, so those of you who have showed up because you saw the topic and you're excited, you'll probably want to forward 45 minutes or so. <laughs> Otherwise, we thought we might talk about uh, the best of 2020. Um, now, not all of us, well, none of us have been regularly rushing to the cinema because <laughs> cinema in 2020, mm-hmm. but uh, also have seen different number of new releases. So this will be a mix of new and old releases and more just about what our highlights or lowlights of 2020 were yeah so so i mean we're definitely we had a plenty of time to watch movies yeah we just couldn't go out and watch them with each other which was you know i mean movies are quite time in the movies theater but it's a social occasion for most of us and it always has been so it's yeah. you know you could do that the whole zoom movie thing and it's it's it felt hollow a lot of it throughout the year it was but, a movie marathon this year was really therapeutic and emotional for me yeah. in a good way mm. it was i mean it was a tough time for personal reasons which are not what this podcast is about and i'm not going to get into um but um like have being around all those friends including um one of my friends who hasn't been for several years and had been living overseas and came back and um 
two movies in when we were both cackling maniacally in unison at a uh, <laughs> certain fight scene about which I will say no more, say except no more. it was in the kitchen. And I think we all know what we're talking about. But Definitely. What happens at the Hollywood for 24 hours stays oh, at the Hollywood for 24 hours. I'll be talking hours. about it, but it was a great year. Fantastic year. Very diverse. Yeah. And getting to see all these people that we had not run into for a long time. All the movie nerds getting back. It's just... I wanted in there. I looked around all the, the t-shirts, the bean bags, and yeah. just went, "These are my people." Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. and not saying anything in particular, but if you listen back to the previous podcast about Sean Connery, where I did mention one movie that I would kill to see on the big screen, you can tick that one off the list. <laughs> and I was so surprised when League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yeah, dropped exactly. because you know, it wasn't on my top fifty oh, Sean Connery. But you know, Darren. Highlight of the night. Darren's a man of specific tastes. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, But um, yeah, and hopefully we'll be uh, seeing a lot more together in 2021. And hopefully my friends overseas who are listening will get to. I mean, I talked to my brother the other day who hasn't, you know, seen a film in the theater since February. Mm. Um, And it's now, you know, January in Denver. And um, and when you consider the Hollywood cinema in October, I managed to see 23 films in, yeah. in just that cinema. Yeah. And at least one in Academy. If oh, not, about several. Four, yeah. four or five at the Academy. Yeah. It's, uh, I'd honestly, and the Hollywood cinema was the only place I actually saw movies at this year. I never went into a multiplex. You mean last year. year? Last year. Sorry. Yeah, last year. Too. Last year. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Still signing my. My, you know, my checks there, 2020 hell, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You have checks. You are living in the past. (laughs) I think I've got a checkbook around somewhere. (laughs) I don't don't think I've ever had a New Zealand checkbook. (laughs) Not necessary. Um, So shall we tick into the uh, various categories? Do you want to... Let's do that. Let's see how how close to... Uh, the structure that we've planned, we stick to. Exactly. I'm, I'm getting no points for guessing. Because I can't remember which one we were going to do first. Was the biggest surprise? Uh, most pleasant surprise. Most pleasant surprise. Most pleasant surprise of a uh, movie of the year. A movie we went into with no expectations and really, really enjoyed it. Um, they were looking at me, so I better start. I mean, obviously, yeah. I was thinking true stories, but I did have fairly high expectations for true stories. Oh, and that was tremendous. Love true stories, and I've been listening to the, the, the album pretty much constantly since I watched that. But it was actually one, uh, I believe, at a birthday marathon, and I believe it was presented by my colleague, uh, because I got to see The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, which I had never seen before. Uh, I'd heard the title of, didn't know a thing about really, and enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I actually don't know anything about it because I missed the birthday marathon. No, you missed much. that one, but uh, Darren, if you want to explain about... The, the background of this movie, if you can. Uh, Kyle Reiner stars in it, and Alan Arkin, in one of his first Ooh. roles, plays Sold. a Russian yep. captain. And it's basically a Cold War a disaster comedy. It's Yeah, it's kind of the, the, it, the mad, 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 mad world of, of, mm. of Cold War it's movies. It's 1948 done... No, whatever that... Um, uh, 1940, 1941. 1941 done well. What if 1941 was a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a soft spot for 1941, but even I admit it, it's 25 minutes too long, and and right. sometimes it crashes the deck. But this one is is just a really fun ensemble comedy, and it's mm. so many people having the chance to really shine. Even the, the smaller actors that you wouldn't, you know, you couldn't pick out of a lineup, yeah, are just really well portrayed on screen. And it just has this this, this wonderful 
Mm. It's basically a roller coaster ride. Actually, I think it wasn't a birthday marathon. No, I think we did early. it as a tribute to Carl Reiner. Ah, okay. So ah, somewhere yes. in the middle of the year. It's been a, it was a long mm. year, so yeah. trying to recall oh, gosh. <laughs> it's been a long five years. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but that so that that definitely I can recommend that if, if you're if you're looking for something that is gonna if you're currently in another country lockdown and uh, have a couple yeah. of hours to kill. Hunt that down. It's, it's, and you're worried that Trump might overthrow the election with some help from his friends? The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Cool, what about you? Well, biggest surprise for me is a film that I think both of you guys have seen before and really liked. The surprise was that I was able to stomach it and enjoy it, um, and that I enjoyed it as much as I did, which was The Hills Have Eyes. Ah. I haven't actually seen it. Oh, wow. I always kind of wondered how you were going to handle that one, and we did see it on the big screen, and and a double feature with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. um, Which is a film that I'd already confronted about eight or nine years ago but um were they leaving their dishes in the sink (laughs) 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 but the hills have eyes uh because of the time because it's Wes craven because uh, i might have gotten it a little bit confused with um last house on the left left, which is yes but it's but it does have but they're often mentioned in the same breath as craven's notorious early works absolutely and it it does have some nastiness there is a nasty rape sequence and but it halfway through the movie once you've seen the bad guys because it does take a while at the for the first part it's really tense and they're more like wisps they're they're more you don't see them you see what they do and you see the damage they cause but you don't see the person once you get to know them they're hapless fucks (laughs) (laughs) they're not good at being evil but they're evil at being evil right so it's like almost the reverse tucker and dale versus evil (laughs) it's it's an incredibly brutal movie at times but you you know that you know anyone with with any sort of strategy can probably take these guys out but it's just the it's the surprise factor of them and any film where the mvp is the dog (laughs) the family dog is the most valuable player is it's it becomes an adventure film about halfway through it's um so the tone is quite weird and um but I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I have a friend whose favourite villain of all time is the villain of uh, Hills Have Eyes. It's Jupiter, I'm guessing, or, or Michael Berryman's character, or no, no, the other, oh, the, other, oh, the, 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 the father. The, I forget, I forget the order of the planets yeah. that they go on, but Mars. Yeah. Well, Bevan Saturn, is currently screaming <laughs> at our podcast. <laughs> Bevan, and, Bevan will let you, yeah, he'll, he'll let Mars know what it's with <laughs> And we could, yeah. I mean. We could just look it up on IMDb, but we are stubborn bastards who are not going to do that. You have a phone. (laughs) I guess the first time I ever saw that movie was on a VHS tape that had been played to death. And if you've got a a 60 times played VHS tape with that movie, it literally looks like someone's last known home for a video video footage. It, It feels like I'm watching a snuff film because it is that grainy, that torn up. Is it and quite handheld as well, or is it? Um, it's, it's okay. We saw it on a four K four K print, which is yeah, very, very <laughs> so it, it did have a different feel to it. But um, it does kind of feel like you're on there, almost feels yeah. documentary style at times. And it's mm. it is it's really is quite a, an amazing film. And the tension they manage. Uh, there's a scene with um, a, a baby, and it's very very scary stuff. It's a. I, it's a film I will happily watch again, which I never <laughs> thought. 
but of the, 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 se- the sequel you might want to see uh, I believe I've never watched it because I hear that there's a flashback by the dog yes so that's <laughs> the most famous thing about doesn't really feel like it follows in the spirit of that's the not actually the most insane flashback that we'll have in this show but what's not going to have ourselves <laughs> foreshadowing Um, I was torn between two Um, the Godfather Coda I'm going to mention just briefly because I'd never seen the Godfather 3 and I'd always had suspicions about it but the flip side is I've always been fascinated by Coppola and I keep finding whenever I go back to his stuff even the stuff that is not that well regarded it's better than I thought it would be and Mm -hmm. seeing the Godfather Coda on the big screen uh, which you can do again, I think, at the Capitol on January 18th. Oh, one um, of those, and I'm definitely going to be there for that. Is a great way to discover uh, that film and the pleasures of it. But um, Hell, I just realized we've given, our, if there is a stalker out there, the perfect opportunity to... Uh, yeah, can murder us all. For yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> literally, they could also just go to any screening at the Hollywood. <laughs> You'll find one of those. Yeah. <laughs> probably not me, but probably one yeah. of those two, yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, the, fil- the film I am going to focus on more is uh, The Hitcher, which uh, has been on my, I should probably see it. I know there's a great Rucker Howard performance. It's notor- I, I remember reading the Ebert one-star moral outrage review when it came out. So I'd always thought it was going to be one of those films that had an amazing performance, some sick turns of fate, and... Not necessarily what else going for it, but it, that you know, it being that sort of thing. I mean, we've seen so many slashers. For some reason, Sleepaway Camp is jumping into my head. Yeah, that like two moments of notoriety make up for you know eighty five minutes of bog standard crap. <laughs> and so when I finally sat down with the Hitcher, I was like, "Why is this such an incredibly good movie? And how mm-hmm. did nobody?" tell me or or why did I not listen I don't know but just like um, because yeah the, the Rucker Howard's performance is as great as build but um, I'm suddenly going to bring see Thomas, see Thomas Howell um, as the young lead who um, there's literally almost no backstory he just starts picks up a hitcher and shit goes wrong yep very quickly much, yeah. um, and he manages to go from and a lot of it's sort of the wrong man, like kind of, you know, he gets accused of these these things as well, and he, and his performance brilliantly arcs from there is no possible way anyone could believe that he's the guy responsible for this to holy crap, he kind of you know <laughs> you know, um, but but the acting it to me was really secondary to the filmmaking. Um, it was just such an assured um, debut in terms of. Uh, shot choice and sequencing and and pace and everything about it. I was just like, it just, it reminded me um, uh, of Road Games in a way, but I thought it was actually even better than Road Games. Um, It just took itself a little bit more seriously and was less of a Hitchcock throwback Mm. and Mm. more doing its own kind of um, deserty kind of voice. I didn't feel like the scenes were necessarily cribbed from Hitchcock like in a... um, in road games, which I, I do love road games a lot, mm. but um, I felt like that's a film that's like trying to channel Hitchcock as opposed to saying, okay, I've seen Hitchcock. Let me keep that in the back of my mind and make the best film I know how to make. And right. um, yeah, yeah. Not, taking, not taking the Brian De Palma 80s rap. Yeah, exactly. Going, I could be Hitchcock. Mm. Yeah. You're not Brian. I mean, you're a yeah. good filmmaker, but you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I have an honourable mention surprise, and it's it it's a film that struck me in the trailer and and just the poster and its mere existence is so middle of the road that why the hell bother? Um, on the rocks. The oh, the Sophia Coppola, Bill yeah. Murray. Yeah, that I was definitely what I. I mean, I haven't bothered. <laughs> so I should. Apparently I, you should. I really. I was. It was a surprise. I mean, her her directing. She's she's great anyway. Um, so you yeah. don't even really need to talk about the directing. What surprised me was uh, how good. Uh, Bill Murray wasn't playing exactly a comedy role, but uh, right. but he just had s- some amazing pathos. He was playing a real ladies' man character. He was. Um, there wasn't a single woman he didn't try and hit on, except his daughter, thankfully. Um, uh, and, but he just, there was one scene where I thought it was some of the best acting I've ever seen him do. Right. And it's um, and it was just a really nice kind of, it's about a, um, a woman who um, who suspects that her husband is cheating on her. And um, her father, who is a a huge Lothario, tries to get himself involved in it. And I think a lot of it is just about her fear that she married her own father. That it's because mm. he's he's up everything. Oh, no, let's right. not yeah. let's scratch that. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. Okay. So that moving on. Recommendation. What was your biggest what was disappointment of 2020? <laughs> so that last phrase was. That's 2021. Yeah, we're trying to keep it positive. But we are, 2020 was was tough. So we're going to have a, a biggest cinematic disappointment, not just a, a general disappointment. Yeah. And mine just kind of crosses over into this year because it's a movie I was waiting for that didn't come out when I was hoping or where I was hoping because we're in the middle of school holidays right now which started in December Yeah. and normally around Christmas time is when the big family movies drop and Pixar's Soul was the one that I had been waiting for for probably a year since I first heard about it Right. and the movie theatres in New Zealand I've got to point out are open and it just dropped That's so on yeah. Disney Plus I'm so I'm so angry about this whole like people have uh, banged on about Warner Brothers and their like s- simultaneous strategy, yeah. but it's like they're putting their films in theaters. You know, it may yeah. be mm-hmm. devout. It, it does it. change the discourses we've seen around Wonder Woman '84, yeah. which I had mixed feelings about. But seeing people who were watching it for the first time hate tweeting from five minutes in, mm. that feels like no way to kind of. Watch it. a movie, no, watch but no. Soul um, was so cinematic. I haven't seen I, it yet. I haven't but seen I, it because I don't have Disney Plus. Because I got, the, I mean, I got the, tr- the trial when it first came out, and I had a look, and I thought, well, there's nothing I really haven't seen a million times yeah. before. And then halfway through the year, I read about Disney Plus, basically fucking over guys like Alan Dean Foster for royalties. They bought the royalties to the the rights to all the books, the adaptions that Alan Dean Foster had written, the endless game it, type stuff. They well. Everything he, I mean, he wrote the adaptions Scott Scott Alien. That's Orson Scott Card, you think? Yeah, sorry. Alan Dean Foss. He wrote the the Star Wars uh, novelizations. He wrote the Aliens. He wrote hundreds Mm. of these. They bought the rights to them, but apparently the lawyers are claiming that they didn't buy the rights to pay them their royalties. (laughs) So suddenly, their royalty payments they've been getting for forty years stopped the moment Disney got it. So fuck the House of the Mouse until they start paying Alan Dean Foster. I'm not buying that. I would have gone and seen this movie in a cinema because I would have supported local yeah. people sort of working. I would have loved seen it because Pixar is my jam. Jazz, as 
previously mentioned in length is also a jam. Yeah. Pixar doing a jazz movie that's also what Soul seems to be all about from reading on it. I want to see this damn movie and I want to see it on the big screen. Um, yeah. So Disney, if you're listening, I know you're not. Fuck okay. you. Put it on the big screen. Yeah. It's one of the. It is. It's not one I would be talking about, but it is one of the best films I saw last mm. year. It's uh, tremendous. Um, and Rachel House has a, a great role in it. Awesome. It's um, yeah. It's it's so deep. I, I can't imagine that kids would have picked up on much of what the story is really is, about. Is a bit of Doctor Frank. You should, you can't watch this film. I'm enjoying it on more levels than you are. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised what kids totally pick up right. these days. Yeah. You know, I think oh, kids yeah. are a little more with the internet are a little more sophisticated than yeah, we maybe, were back in the maybe. 1980s. You know? <laughs> now I'm all about kids get off my lawn. Yeah. At, off my lawn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went and saw Monster Hunter yesterday, oh. and one of the um, 13 year old kids. <laughs> It seemed like a good idea at the time. It wasn't um, there, because there's a small pr- portion of the internet who are convinced Paul W. S. Anderson is the new Fritz Lang because he uses symmetry in some of his films, and they keep raving about every one of him. And every once in a while, I fall for it. And there's like nothing else to see right now, really. <laughs> and um, but one of the kids in front of me, in the row in front of me wore a bucket of popcorn empty over his head for the back half of the film. And even he thought the movie was dumb. We should tell you about where it lands. I instantly flashed them on the final scenes in Gremlins. Gremlins is doing the exact same yes. thing. And I, that kid, high five. Right. High yeah. five I don't think it was a tribute. But you're so, not going to tell us that's your disappointment, because surely you weren't... Uh, no, no, God no. And also I saw it in 2021. So. Oh, um, that's disappointment. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but what's your biggest disappointment of uh, 2020? Right. Well, I might... Um, I am aware I may well be taking on um, Doug's wife here, but um, Tenet was one of um, what I consider a major disappointment. Visually, great. But visuals only take you so far. Um, And, yeah, it just didn't do much for me, and I got to... um, did you watch it on the IMAX or? A, I saw it on a fairly it? big screen. Okay. It wasn't IMAX, but it was a fairly large screen. But it um, visually it, it it delivers, but um, story-wise, I mean, you only have to look at how the the spelling of the title is to work out what the story is really about and what the real twists and turns are. Right. Um, but I know it, nothing about ten. I know it's it about ten ETs. Ten ETs. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. I'm in. But no, I've heard it was a big thing. I, as to my usual thing, I didn't bother yeah. looking at anything. And then, of course, when everything shut down in the middle of the year, I went well. You know, there was. I might see it at some stage. Yeah. But they, I, nothing ever. You had like five months to see it. To be <laughs> fair, it was literally like in theaters till about yes. Yes. Till, I'll, I'll till put Wonder Woman right after up. Raging Bull. So that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. The um, the script was a bit muddle-headed and, and one of the worst lines probably of 2020 <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've got the quote right um, but it's along the lines of the our lead character saying I've, um, I've got to save the world or we've got to save the world and then the female love interest says and my son uh, I, I, I think, I think was the, the actual line is, oh, um, if, if we don't stop this, everyone is going to die. Ah, and okay. she says, including my son. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Which gives it a, yeah. it's, it's a very special like kind of dumb. Because not yeah. only is it just like, <laughs> we've got to save the world and my son. It's like, she's just realized, 
Oh, my son's in the world. It is part of. <laughs> I, I just yeah. Look, I, I that was the moment I checked out of the film. That was uh, I didn't care from a that the full stop on that sentence. <laughs> that was the point where I thought, oh, just do what you're doing. I'll I'll sit here. But yeah. I think I think you're proving that the visuals aren't everything as you say because I, I watched. Uh, they can only year, get Valerian, you so far. Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, the Luke yeah. Besson one, and it's. Mind-blowingly beautiful. Yeah, yes. and I can't remember a goddamn thing about the movie afterwards. Actually, the first ten minutes great. of that movie. Is the first really ten cool. minutes, I I thought I was in a new classic. Yeah, and then the rest of the movie happened. It just yeah. kind of. It I saw very it in three D um, at a, so. a preview screening, and yeah, the, that first ten minutes, the whole audience was, was yeah. with it. Yeah, and then we weren't. And we weren't yeah. with it. You can feel the air go out of the room. I mean, script is king. Even in twenty twenty one, script is king. Yeah, I'm not going to um, sharply defend Tenet. Um, there's bits of it I really enjoyed. I think it, um, to me, it shows that like Christopher Nolan should get be given five obstructions, and it's like, here you go, ten million dollars, hard R action movie, all female cast, told linearly. I don't know what the fifth one is. Um, no, Michael Caine, maybe. Um, <laughs> but you know, maybe. I mean, like I, to me, like as much as there's these big set pieces, like the bit where um, John David Washington is kicking ass in the kitchen as he's leaving yeah. the thing, became the movie as um, impactful as any of these kind of things. And even though you say the visuals are amazing, there's part of it that I think no one deliberately is so besotted with making it feel realistic mm. that he undersells the wonder of it. I mean, that's the one thing I will say about Monster Hunter, which is completely stupid um, in so many different ways. But, you know, when action beats happen, Paul W.S.A. Anderson stops time. He makes moments. He shoots them from six different angles. And you take in thing mm. and your wizard brain goes, wow, you know. And instead of it just being <laughs> something kind I mean, there, the problem is that there's nothing really that yeah. interesting or new that he does. Sadly, that also sounds like Could something be... that Uwe Boll used to do. Yeah, Shooting yeah. Shooting from six different angles. But the trouble is he showed you every angle simultaneously. So. This could yeah. be the quote of the podcast. <laughs> your lizard brain goes, wow. Get that on a t-shirt now. I've got one stocked up for later, which I'm hoping will be the quote, but we'll see. Um, yeah, no, I don't... Um, I, I had violently mixed feelings about it. I lo- loved some stuff, hated some stuff, mm. and um, I just—it was one of the first movies I saw after second. Was it after the second lockdown that it came out? I think it, I came out, I think it was after yeah. the second one. Yeah. Yeah, and so going back and seeing, especially the opening minutes at the Russian concert mm. with spectacle, it was again just the kind of big like. Oh, Oh, well, the first, first <laughs> 10, 15 minutes, including that kitchen scene, there's virtually no dialogue. It is just one great big... No, the kitchen scene happens later, because oh, there's the whole Russian scene, uh, and then there's, then there's all this stupid this st- oh, stuff right. with Martin Donovan as Captain Exposition. Yes. And, yes. Then, and then he goes... <laughs> Please to tell the, me that's his <laughs> actual credit. <laughs> it might as well be. It's so sad, because I love Martin Donovan, and him and Come to Daddy was one of my um, oh, favorite... Uh, it, I think it was just such a sheer pleasure as an actor I've always loved um, getting to chew his teeth into um, a, a crazy role in such a um, committed uh, way that's so consistent with 
what he does, but uh, yeah. And Kenneth Branagh as Boris Badenov was. Um... <laughs> but he checks his Fitbit and stuff, and he like kills a man with a golden. I, I think I think Tenet is funnier than people give it credit for. Like, oh, and I think possibly. it's just that he plays it so close to the chest that he's probably like, if you sat next to no one at a screening, he'd just probably be sitting there chuckling quietly. But he's all about I've got to get that moose and squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of the comedy, but yeah. <laughs> I just mostly sick of Elizabeth Debicki playing. Um, oh, insipid! Uh, yeah, I just saw. She's watched, a good actress. I just watched Widows again last night, and she's so Case good in point. that. Case yeah, you know, point. and she's like putting on her Polish accent to buy Glocks and things, and um, yeah, and and just has such a. And she's great in uh, Man from Uncle, and you know, she's just a clothes horse, really, with a kid in yeah. in, um, in Tenet, and yeah. it's a shame. And a bottle she, of uh, suntan lotion. That yes, she, and yeah. it's so the it really worst happens. dialogue known to. Man. And that really happens to actresses in Hollywood. Getting that role where they just get to look pretty and spout some dialogue. Oh, but she's makes um, you want to claw your own. She's. Ears off. I think the first time I saw her um, was Night, the Night Manager, that John the Oh God. Ooh. I, I thought, hated that. I thought and she I hate, was very good, and but it's it's the same role that she has in Tenet. I suppose it's just like this kind of. You know, I'm going to lust after you, and that, but actually, somebody richer is lusting after you, and he controls you like a puppet. It's literally the same thing, only like you know, there's no Hugh Laurie and there's no Tom Hiddleston, and and it's not eight hours long. It just feels that way. <laughs> um, shall we go on to my yeah, biggest? Yes, disappointment? Yes, yeah, yeah, now say yes. some nice things about your biggest disappointment. Oh no, I won't. Um, I'll, I'll be brief because actually, I was going to talk about Mank, but. Um, I kind of was a little wary about it going in, to be fair. Uh, my biggest disappointment was near the very start of the year, I should have known what was going wrong, uh, a film called The Souvenir by Joanna Hogg, oh. which um, was uh, fa- famously, uh, perhaps not in this room, but billed as one of the big um, potential Oscar films for 2019 oh. uh, and was huge in Britain. Uh, and then when it didn't get nominated, it was like sexism and all that. We kind were of talking stuff. about that only the other day. Yeah, oh, we sure. were exactly. Um, I'm, I'm so, yeah. yeah, something, something to do. No, we weren't. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no um, it, it, so it, it was just one of one of those art films that was really hyped, and I really wanted to like it, and um, I found it not just um, banal, but also almost inept at points, and I was just. It was just really frustrating to me that, like, something that had gotten all this praise seems so self-evidently. Um, it's also m- one of my least favorite narratives of all time is, hi, I'm in love with a person that's bad for me. Yeah. Repeat 50 times, look at the camera, the end. Right. And and maybe that it's true to Joanne, because apparently there's a fair amount that's autobiographical um, in what is my least anticipated sequel of all time. Um because actually I'm looking forward to Monster Hunter 2 more than I'm looking forward <laughs> to the souvenir part 2 but the latter even weirdly is somehow more likely because apparently that was being directed when lockdown happened right. so oh. but um but yeah so that I, I won't dwell on it anymore um, so part like 2 surely it, it would have to be called souvenirs <laughs> <laughs> party tricks and novelties yeah. <laughs> you dropped your fake dog poop <laughs> <laughs> um I've, I've got a an honourable mention. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> well, it's it's just one of those films that make you go. Grrr. Emma, 
Uh, Emma, Emma just... Yeah, the 2020 with Anya Taylor-Joy. Yes. Who you might know from a, a little show about chess. Have you watched this show about chess? Uh, my wife has. She's, I have not. The thing, so and fine. again, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those disappointment things because she's just one of the better actresses up and coming at the moment. And she, um, But this film is... I, I'm getting angry. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a dishonorable mention. Emma apparently makes Darren angry. It's Yay. so well. It's, it's the garbage power kids. One of the things that really gets my goat is smugosity, smuggery, Smug. smugness. <laughs> it's and it's it wears fifty its, shades it's of wear, smug. Exactly, it wears its smugness on its sleeve. Right. It's also and to be fair, isn't that like kind of all the. Victorian literature adaptation. Well, I've seen Emma quite a few times. Right, so you're one of these people who is invested in Austin. Uh, well, not invested, but I mean, it's just a few. Uh, Emma is a fairly basic thing that's around it. So is Raging Bull, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. Let's You've not, seen it. Yes, that's, that's true. But, uh, yeah, it's it's sometimes, just sometimes it's, it's smug <laughs> and overly. Overly cutesy, funny, but I mean, I say funny in inverted commas. Um, but it's yeah, and boring, and and Bill Nye gives a, a punchable performance, which <laughs> is hard to say. It's very unBill Nye. Maybe we should start a list of awards for next year, such as most punchable <laughs> performance. <laughs> that we can keep a running tally of over the year. <laughs> but I, stopped, I didn't finish sure. it. In fact, my wow. whole family, we just stopped it. Cause, right. And that's very rare for my parents to ever stop a movie. It's once that train is started, they don't get off it. But no, we just stopped because it was shit. I have, I have a runner-up, which was actually The Towering Inferno. Um, half because of the movie and half because of the experience mm-hmm. of it being one of the most poorly behaved cinema things that I had in 2020. And I feel guilty about even finding anything to complain about going to the movies in 2020 when so many people can't. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and, and maybe if I'd been more in the mood for it, I haven't seen a lot of disaster movies. Um I've seen parodies of disaster movies. Yes, so it was a bit like if you had only ever seen Spaceballs right. and then going to watch Star Wars at 45 and expecting it to land for you like it does for other yeah. people. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully this year there will be um, much fewer people talking and using cell phones at movies. Although if my Monster Hunters experiences any uh, <laughs> indication, no. Well, for me, I, I got up and moved about 15, 20 minutes in, and I had an absolute blast. That was one of my favorite uh, screen experiences, right. was uh, Towering Inferno. Mm-hmm. But I knew the film. Yeah. And yeah. I, We're not really it's the kind of people that put up with a lot of shit. In it the is cinema. long. It, it, and I That's think if you're mean. It's a, it yeah, is it mean is. as well, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, there are you, Urban Elements, I went through a phase of watching those. And there are, yeah, there is, yeah. there's, you can make, you can make the checklist of, which minor actor is going to get killed off first? Yeah. But the Towering Inferno, yeah, it's. I mean, you know, all oh, right, you're stuck on that one there. You're going through the window. Yep, okay, off you go. It's just, it's, I believe you, you were surprised that one of the leading actresses just getting killed off almost as a an afterthought. That's right. It was yeah, like, is that in that in that um in the, the elevator? In the elevator. Yeah, yeah. 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 she's um, oh, she's gone. Fred Astaire's yeah, 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 love interest, and we've already seen her in peril half a dozen times. Yeah, and it's just like a blink and you miss her. Oh, oh. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Towering Inferno also suffers from the, this character is an asshole and we're going to wait to kill him for 90% of the film so that we can all cheer when he finally goes away. 
Um, I, I and, it's like, and, and, the, and the celebration of him leaving isn't worth the annoyance that he's been the whole time. Well, Doesn't he take a few never, other people out at the same time? Of course he does. He, yeah. he can't, you know. Never, never watch his last, Which the last is movie a very when time film. ran out. Because when time ran out takes so long. Because it's a volcano disaster. Is this Irwin Allen? Irwin Allen. Yes. Pretty much the last one he did. And it's, when the audience ran out. Yeah, because it's kind of, the volcano's going to erupt. And when does the volcano erupt in a two-hour movie? Near the end of the movie. Five minutes before the mm. end of it. And you go, fucking finally. Right. <laughs> But um, yeah, this uh, he he definitely was on a on a big money making cycle, which you can really feel throttling down to nothing. But I mean, I I can't say anything about some of because I've watched the swarm more times than any person should watch the swarm, and it's just such a a wonderful mess. And the Towering Inferno yeah. is probably not one of my favourite ones of his. Beside the mentions, probably in between swarm, but. Yeah, I, I will sit down and watch two and a half hours of the swarm any day of the week. So. Do you have an honourable, um, honourable um, mention disappointment? Disappointment? Not really, because I was so pissed off about um, <laughs> about Disney. So yeah. I didn't think about anything else. So fair enough. So oh, should we move on? Yeah, yeah, best new discovery. New discovery. Now, couple. I mean, I've, I ran across a lot of new films this year. Hunt for the Wilder People was probably one of my honourable mentions. I'm not hearing uh, Sunrise Faces. The place that was um, <laughs> that was a discovery. I'm still I'm still digesting six months later, but. Yeah. Um, if we're talking about ones that we've seen on the podcast, that have to be for me, Little Murders. That right. was, yeah, that's a great discovery. One Cut of the Dead was a oh, uh, yes. probably my second runner-up because yeah. it's 2010, and we watched it as a group, and it was just oh, it's more recent than that. I think 16 or something. 16. I thought it was 2000. Maybe I read that wrong. Someone will correct me on the internet. Oh wait, Doug just did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, love that. Uh, absolutely, just was my my jam up and down. But the one that I had to say I've heard of never seen and once again Darren dropped it and I know this one was at the birthday marathon back in February was The Faculty mm-hmm. and oh wow uh, the Robert Rodriguez one yeah mm-hmm. the one that des- got described at the time it got it's been described by someone on internet yeah. uh, database as the breakfast club meets the thing which is a fantastic way of describing it and I, I had low expectations when it came up I, well when it came up I kind of had moderate expectations I've seen it in every you know, video store when they used to have video stores, right? Always on the shelves, and just never got around to picking it up and having a look at it. Never, just to me, it looked like a teen kind of movie. But yeah, it's a teen sci-fi horror kind of. I, I don't know how you even describe it. Well, properly. And, and it doesn't just meet the thing; it's they're dating now. They're dating, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the, the thing. Yeah, the, the thing got game. Wear the thing on it. You've got to yeah. do the whole um, blood. The blood test, the blood test thing, from the right. thing, yeah. There's, there's a net. So it's, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, at the when you do like a birthday marathon with those, it's normally seven movies in a row. So by the last one, you're getting pretty punchy. Yeah. But it was a really good closer. So um, I was very glad that Darren got the draw this year to, to finish off, because that was one that, as I say, I probably if he hadn't shown it, I probably still wouldn't have seen it to this day. It's just it was never really on my radar. So worth the worth a watch if you want to go back and watch some '90s teen sci-fi. Excellent. What about you, Darren? All right, let's go a little bit obscure, shall we? <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> uh, my one is um, one I saw about three or four months ago um, called A Thousand Clowns. I'm getting a lot of blank faces. <laughs> I haven't even looked up. <laughs> Politely <laughs> blank stare. <laughs> I, I, it's just sounding more like a nightmare than yeah. anything else. <laughs> oh, God. I think I'd check out after the first four. <laughs> <laughs> How many more to go? I don't know. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's 
Uh, it's a pure delight of a movie. A What's the runtime? I'm just trying to work out how many clones per second this trans. <laughs> <laughs> it's an hour fifty-eight. Okay, so I'll be back clowns. to you in a they minute. They must be turning up in cars. Uh, made in 1965, director is Fred Coe. It stars Jason Robards, Barbara Harris, Martin Balsam, William Daniels, and it's it's just I I it's one of those things that you you just kind of. It's a, a affectionate towards the movie. Um, a clown every 7.08 seconds for those playing at home. Wow. <laughs> 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 it's uh, reading the IMDb, a middle-aged iconoclast doggedly avoiding the tedium of employment and conventional life faces the prospect of losing custody of his young ward. In other words, it's a... Um, he's a comedy script writer, Jason Robards, who um, has a great relationship with his young nephew, who he looks after, and they uh, they joke and uh, use their imagination, and they're never serious all the time. And they um, he doesn't really go to school. They um, the the young ward, not Jason Robards, and um, but it's just such a warm and likable character. He meets someone and falls in love, which is Barbara Harris's, uh, who is one of the inspectors that is coming to look at the uh, the home life. And it's um, yeah, it's just it may well have been a staged play, um, but it's it was nominated for several awards. I think it Martin Balsam won one, so he plays the brother. Uh, one, yeah, Oscar winner for Best Actor, but Martin Balsam. Oscar for Best Picture nominee, sorry, Fred Coe. It's, um, yeah, it's it's just tremendous. I, I, I love it warmly. So the Thousand Clowns are metaphorical? Or is that a spoiler? <laughs> I refuse to answer that. just all in the last ten minutes. It's just clowns it's, everywhere. It's very funny and very heartwarming and right. sad and all the human experience. Amazing film. It's funny. Robards is one of those guys that I I know, but I haven't seen that much. By it was only now that I remembered the reason that I have such... He's so burned into my head is because of um, a film called Max Dugan Returns. Oh, which, yes. because of... Uh, when we got HBO and because of when it came out, I saw roughly 45 times um, because I think it was one of the only PG movies that they had. And he was like this father who was a ne'er-do-well who came home to his daughter and like would lavish her with ill-gotten gains and stuff. I don't remember much of it, but I have a strong suspicion like um, that and Super Fuzz and a couple other movies, if you put them on, even though I haven't seen them for 35 (laughs) years, some part of my genetic memory would just start... Quote, you know, quoting along word for word. Yeah, but, uh, we we tried super fast, but but we neither of us had seen it before. Right. So we got we got halfway through and just went, "My God, we can't." <laughs> this has no. You did that. We 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 had to we stopped the movie. He's the watched Dracula versus Frankenstein three times. Yeah, exactly, but that's that in center with muscles. muscles. It just no. it had no can't value for us in nostalgia, and we just really couldn't get into it. And we we got to watch something else. We're wasting our time here. But as I say, if you've watched Superfuzz through twenty times as a kid. You put it on, you would have the best time of your life. 
Pro- this, this, is, sure. this explains the Goonies to me, because yeah. I didn't see the Goonies till I was an adult, and my exact response was, no, no, are no, you no, fucking I'm, kidding I'm me? I'm listening to this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. It's I'm, like I'm, a movie, but worse. Yeah. <laughs> this has been the final episode. You must have seen Jason Robards in All the President's Men. Oh, yeah, I've seen, I, I, I have seen him in a couple. Yeah, Life is Long. Jason, Jason Robards um, me is one of those guys I have to remind myself was probably young at some stage, because every... Yeah. Time you say Jason Robots, I just see sixty-plus-year-old Jason Robots because it's where I saw. Well, once upon most, a time in the West, he, he yeah, still looks old and bedraggled yeah, there, yeah. and he's always those actors his... that do that. Yeah. yeah, but it's one of the like there's certain actors that you kind of don't make a study of, and they just pop up once every three few years in something, and you kind of. And I, I've never been somebody who's very actor focused in their watching things. Like I'll be like, okay, I'm going to watch several films by a director. So unless it's like a director that works really closely with an actor, it's kind of just sort of random what actors I stumble upon. And it's not like I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch all the Jack Nicholson films from the early 70s or all the, you know, Peter Fonda films or whoever. So, mm. um, but after watching um, The Emperor of the North Pole, I'm quite keen to do a Lee Marvin. Oh, yes. <laughs> some he's so much fun. Um, my, uh, my best new discovery is a film that I've talked about on this year, so I'll talk about my runner-up after that. But... Um, I still just cannot stop thinking about A Labor of Love, the um, mm-hmm. uh, filmmaking documentary about a um, group of young, uh, naive dreamers who set out to make a beautiful film that happens to have uh, sexual intercourse in it, and everything goes horribly awry, <laughs> except perhaps for the um, young resident of the house that they're subletting and shooting <laughs> of which is a, I won't spoil but um, I, for a brief moment I'll, um, I thought about seeing if anyone wanted to have their quote of the year from a film or their line delivery, <laughs> delivery of, and um, you know the moment where uh, about three quarters of the way through where the documentarian asks uh, one of the people who's sitting on the sidelines what they're doing is like I'm reading a fucking book and it's it just it's just a chronicle of hope dying in real time yeah and, I know you mentioned this one before yeah yeah and so I'll, I'll bring over the DVD sometimes oh, but um, Vinegar Syndrome put it out there might be um, some ways to see it online I mean it is a making of an adult film and therefore has adult content but oh my gosh and it's and, um, so human it's so yeah. it's these people who think that they're because they're actors that they they're un, untouchable so yeah. it doesn't matter if they're they're having sex with a stranger it won't matter to them because they're in their character but it's there's it, you can't switch yeah. it off like that it's uh, it's absolutely fascinating and I just love um, observational documentary, and a lot of people find observational documentary quite dry. And I'll admit that, you know, I'm not going to try to push Skeet to watch the new four-hour Frederick Weissman film called City Hall about meetings at City Hall. And I and I and Sounds I understand. Fascinating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me just check uh, my schedule. I'm ready to watch apparently. So uh. yeah, when I came in, you were watching wrestlers setting each other on fire, and quite yeah, literally, quite literally um, setting each other on fire on, on TV. On TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not on the back <laughs> not really. yeah. but, um, <laughs> Just in the, in the neighbor's <laughs> garden. But I do uh, even in I, I do just love the ways that observational documentary escapes the bounds of, you know, narrative filmmaking convention, you know, like there's, you would never be able to write quite the scenario that unfolds in a labor of love with quite those 
characters. And similarly with Demon Lover Diary, which we mm-hmm. saw at um, the Hollywood as well, which is a good double feature with that because it's another 70s filmmaking documentary. It's just like, yeah, you're just getting this very specific kind of a insanity um, observed by somebody who's somehow become, become part of the furniture and that everybody's comfortable sharing. And you're just, you watch it unfold and it has this, yeah, just... Yeah, I, and I, I think when I think about it a lot, it's actually a lot of the ones I really like are older ones, potentially because now everybody's just so much more aware of being on camera and thinks about being on camera. It's harder to get that unconstructed thing. But um, uh, my other choice would have been Mikey, which um, was, <laughs> was could, could have also been the new Nothing About um but it, it's I, I don't know that it's the be- it's probably not the best discovery, but it's no, on. I Tubi. enjoyed it. I it is on it Tubi. It's yeah. a um, horror film. Um, well, well, not Tubi. Oh, <laughs> it yes. probably is on Tubi. Yes. <laughs> uh, about about a uh, I won't spoil a thing I about it. I'll just say it involves a um, young adopted child who is troubled. He has and, issues, and it has yeah. sort of a, 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 a mild level of production competence. Um, and an absolute batshit plot, which oh, yeah. is my favorite combination. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite combinations. It's not for everybody, but for, yeah. for, if you're in the right frame of mind and you're two beers deep, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was catnip for me. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, what was that? Best lockdown. This lockdown movie. Now, I've, I have to do a double feature on this one because because was this was this, this new was, screening or was this, this overall? This was just overall the, right. the favorite thing you watched during lockdown, and because of, with lockdown we were what six weeks. At, for a start on level or longer in the first yeah. lockdown and that was full lockdown mm-hmm. stay at home go for a walk go back home watch a movie and this was supposedly my year where I was going to catch up on my video gaming which I did I managed to finally finish Saint Row 4 hooray bought a new computer now I've got you know no time to watch movies because I'm playing games that actually work properly hooray don't but, you have more time because you can actually have them unfold in real time? In real time? Well, so it, yeah. it doesn't quite work that way, does it? I don't like to multi-screen. I could be watching a movie on one side and playing a game on the other. I don't do that. So I went through the list of movies I watched, and it was a pretty obvious one because over two days we did a two-day double feature of the greatest family movies of all time, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 1 and Woo! Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. I haven't seen the second one, the but the second first one is terrific. Is, it really hold, it holds great. up in the exact same spirit. It's the, right. that's, it's not one of those ones that just sees, oh, we see dollar signs, let's make a quick cash in. It's, you can feel the love coming off the screen. Mm. And it takes that concept from the first one and it just goes, where else can we go with that? And it is, I'll admit, if you enjoy the, the term shitstorm of puns, you're going to enjoy this movie because I would not have expected a child's movie to have that. Uh, oh, but just it I doesn't mean, say the word. Oh, yes. Yeah, I don't know how many years it's been since we first watched it, but we still occasionally uh, yeah. quote things, especially Steve the Monkey's lines, because you know Steve the Monkey oh! is probably the one of the top three of animated uh, anthropomorphic animal characters uh, with Doug from Up, of course, and uh, Hey Hey the Chicken, who will always be my favorite animated character. Of all time, and some, I somewhere Totoro is. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Totoro. Video. You're in the top Aww. five, probably, but <laughs> Totoro will get over. I'm, I'm the only thing. If Disney, He's Disney Plus apparently has, I've got to do a, a Doug the Dog animated series, a spin right. from there, which is just Doug in his backyard doing Doug stuff. And I thought I'm not going to get Disney Plus, but if I hear there's an episode where Hey Hey and Doug cross over, 
Then I'd have to get that trial again and get those yeah. last two days of my trial. But I, I could just do a live action remake of Doug hanging out in his backyard. <laughs> it would be fantastic. <laughs> we don't have a backyard. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is it's just an endlessly rewatchable movie. I mean, yeah. I, I've lost track of how many times I've seen a lot of the, the kind of those family movies that are aimed also at the nerds like myself, like Monsters vs. Aliens is another one I love and can rewatch. But Cloudy is just it's just got the heart it's got the, mm. the comedy is, is still funny that the 6th or 7th view the mechanics of the comedy in yeah. that yeah. It's the, it is set up pay off set up pay off and that it. it's I think one of the important things with comedy for me is that you have it firing on different levels uh, but not just adult children but you know that you're going between physical comedy and verbal comedy and situational mm. comedy and that's even though I've only seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs once and it was in the cinema it was all of those things. Mm, it wasn't yeah. just delivering one mo- mode of comedy relentlessly. It was, and, uh, and you can feel the fact that they, they recorded a lot of those lines together. You, you get a lot of ones where you can tell where people have come and recorded their lines with a, you know, the, the sound guys. And the, the behind-the-scenes footage shows them, and they're all in the same room recording yeah. it, which always gives that really good improvisational feeling that they can play around with. And they're just having the best time. And it's, you know, you can say, look and see the looks on their faces. Yeah, it's the best job in the world that they're having. Yeah. And it translates onto the screen of just how funny and how warm those movies are. Mm. And, and the second one is them. great. Yeah. It's, um, I've, I do have it on 3D, so maybe we should do a screening. Ooh. I have them both on 3D. How, how about uh, we do a screening of that on my copy of Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like... <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a ludicrously specific. Uh, nice. Movies in 3D that uh, d- that we own, that uh, we watched <laughs> at Darren's house on one day. <laughs> we, could do, we could do 40 with uh, Cloudy. We could just, you know, every so often we'll just throw fruit at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Is this why you want to do it at Darren's house? At Darren's house, I mean, definitely. other than the 3D we're, we're not doing it here. <laughs> well, okay, then I'll do 4D Universal Soldier and punch you in the face. <laughs> I'm up for that. All right, so, All right. Um, Darren, what was your... Uh, I believe I've actually movie. talked about this one already uh, many moons ago. Uh, the Samuel Fuller film Crimson Kimono. Ah, yes. yes, you did. It's yes. just one of those things. It was... Yeah, it, it's just a, a really good mystery but it's much more about the um the sexual politics and politics of um a love triangle it's it actually stars someone who um will feature in one of the films we will be talking about Yes, we are going to be talking about films later on. Don't forget, stay tuned. <laughs> but, it, but it features uh, one of the leads in Crimson Kimono is um, is a villain in a film that we'll be talking about very very soon. Um, it's yeah, it's just tremendous. Um, I is a um, black car the lead in Crimson Kimono. Now? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to talk, it, but. It's just one of those films that is it, um, so much. Um, what I mean is that the the mystery is not as important as the drama of the romantic triangle, and I find it interesting yeah. that I would even care about that sort of stuff and the fact that uh, that the there's a, a white guy and an Asian guy. They're both detectives. They both fall in love with um, yeah. one of the witnesses. It's um, and the 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 Asian guy doesn't believe he ever has a chance and has a huge chip on his shoulder and it's it's just uh, 
Mm. I mean, I love Sam Fuller, and I watched this after you recommended yeah, I it. I was going to say, I spot on my letterbox, there's a four and a half star rating. Yeah, yeah. Doug Dilliman. I actually now have a copy of it, but yeah. I have not got around to seeing it because of Yeah, you know, well, I, I bought the, uh, the box set off the strength of that. Was that the indicator one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, off the strength of that one film but I like Samuel Fuller anyway so it was worth a try but yes that's that is definitely one that I just keep thinking about and you've I'm glad you've seen it so you and you enjoyed that yeah yeah I really enjoyed it I um yeah and and I, I was actually I looked it over on my list uh, yesterday I was having trouble remembering I discovered I somehow watched 497 films last year <laughs> some of those are shorts so you know that's, still, that's uh, which is the first year I've logged those but even in yeah. terms of number of hours and so there's a bit of you know kind of selective amnesia and I find that a lot of film noir st- stuff can run together for me in memory but as soon as you start describing the plot mm. it takes me straight back and also just to the juice of all those Sam Fuller movies which is the character and the dialogue Absolutely. and the moments and what you say about um you know, with, like with Shock Corridor, for instance, it's not about spoiling the story or House mm-hmm. of Bamboo or any of those films. It's about the moment to moment of it. And, you know, and it's just it's it's pulp in the best sense. You know, it's concentrated and it's, you know, every moment counts and it's not just placeholders till you get to some action mm-hmm. scene or something um, or till you get to the big stuff. It's it's everything counts. And that's that journalism like kind of, you know, writing sharp headlines background that fuller comes from there's i actually watched during lockdown a great documentary that's on the shot corridor blu-ray i think uh something called like the typewriter the rifle and the movie camera or something and it's a 90s documentary about um him which includes um tim robbins and quentin tarantino amongst other people and talks about his whole history um so yes, I I support. Uh, <laughs> I'll definitely, as I say, I've now got a yes. copy, so I'll definitely have to join the Conform. kimono club at some stage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of us. Don't be an individual. <laughs> yeah. um, so if you go to my my letterbox for that time, there's a bunch of avant-garde shorts that I really liked. There's a film called The Grand Bazaar, which I've previously talked about by a woman named Jody Mack, who uh, is an incredible piece of animation. It's also probably my best film of 2020. Uh, it's on Mubi, and I strongly recommend it, but I've gone on about it before. Um, but I think in terms of... There's also Werkmeister Harmony's The Bailatar film, which was another kind of thing. But in terms of, like, sheer relief from lockdown, Ninja 3, The Domination. Oh, um, awesome. <laughs> I, I, it's, one, it's actually one of my most liked Letterboxd reviews of the year, and um, I find in Letterboxd you only get likes if you have, like, thought out seven paragraphs or a good one-liner yeah and uh my review of ninja three was do you have you heard of movies this is like that but better <laughs> um, and and it is it's just i'd seen it once before and i really enjoyed it but i was really drunk and i didn't remember it that well and you know when you've seen a lot of genre movies sometimes you feel like you can mix up where things come from and it's just one of those going back and watching like this was all from that movie. You know? the, the, there's the, a lot happening. There, oh, there's yeah. a lot, opening there's golf course, the golf the course, and and the Patrick Nagel paintings, and the energy bolt from the closet, and the the mountains, and and the awkward dialogue at the police station. There's just so much. There, it's just so much movie, and it just keeps giving and it's um you must imagine the pitch meeting is uh well i like i like flash dance the exorcist <laughs> and ninjas what can you do 
I all can do it. all of that. <laughs> Just give me the job, okay? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it's it's um, it's a joy. Um, yeah. So let's wrap with our best uh, best of twenty twenty. Best of twenty. Now, best of twenty twenty. For me, I went through because this is the best movie from twenty twenty. Yes. Actual new through. releases. So Actual you new watch releases. One. I <laughs> I watched 212 movies last year, which is less many, than I did. How many new ones? Huh? Six. Right. <laughs> I, even, even I was surprised, and I went, to "Wow!" <laughs> quite a few of them I did like. Uh, there was only one of them which got like a middling rating, which was 32 Melon Melon Melon. I can't say it. It's a Shutter Spanish. Oh right, movie. yeah, yeah, I know. It's a place, yeah. or, which I was, you know, not too bad, but. Uh, I have a runner-up, so my runner-up movie was something I watched in Shutter, and that was Scare Me. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed Scare oh, Me. Scare Me was, Darren absolutely. described to me as, he said, you got to see it. It's a, a movie where the story is about the nature of storytelling. And I went, sounds interesting. And that's the best way to describe it, because it is, it's people telling each other scary stories on film. And you think, sounds boring. Yeah. But it, it really works. Just the, the humor level is just perfectly pitched. There the, is that the little acting, bit of horror. The in acting, in terms of telling yeah. the story, is just it's it's just really well done. It's it's like if you went to a, a storyteller's workshop, they'd mm. be going through a lot of that sort of it's stuff. It's three parts. Have you seen harmony. The Bastard, right? Yeah. By the way, not yet. No, it's on Amazon Prime. I, I must get on. I think you'd show. really like it just from your description of that. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's literally what three characters plus yes. one. You know, one one, one at the start, one person yeah. at the start. Three main characters, two main characters, yeah. one who joins and really peps that film up in yes, the middle section. Yes, he really does. Really brings that film up, and it's just, it's just, as I say, it's a, it's a dance. It's a three part harmony combined with a with a dance of telling these stories, these little short stories, which if you film the short stories the way that they were told, would probably be almost nothing. They're they're, yeah. they're quite slight, but the way that they've done it, just with yeah. dialogue and acting, lighting, sound Sounds, effects, the yeah. sound design is phenomenal. And it was it was just a really fun time, and I had to start. I started watching it one time, and I watched the first few minutes, and just as they started telling the first story, it started raining so hard that I could not hear a thing. And I came back a week later, and I'm so glad I picked it back up again because mm. it was just that first little bit was like that's intriguing. I don't know where we're going from here, and picking it back up, it's just like oh, this is fantastic. And it so, pretty much all takes place in a cabin, in a not cabin. in the woods. Yeah, right. sort of exactly. out on the outskirts, a cabin in, in the, the suburbs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a cabin in kind of cabin Sylvania. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cabin so that's Sylvania, so yeah. really enjoyed it. That is my runner-up film, my best film of 2020. No surprise, bloody nose, empty pockets. Oh yeah. yeah. So oh, I'm so pleased that you liked that. Cause I, I didn't watch that with yeah. you. No, Doug, of course, recommended that. No, very, yeah. probably your first episode, first second episode. You recommended that? Oh, uh, not quite that early, but because I wrote the program early. note for it, so I couldn't yeah. talk about it. Couldn't. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. true. You mentioned it, and it's. It's, I mean, a, a movie that sucked in an entire room of people. Yeah. We watched a big group of people watching it during our, our film festival Absolutely. at home when, we, when there was a lockdown was on and we had to we, stream the movies at home. We were was, there for every gin-soaked minute of oh, it. I mean, oh, watching that in a, in, a, in a film festival theatre where people have been, you know, on their phones or being pretentious around you would have been irritating as hell because it's so character-driven. And yeah. part of your brain is going, is this a documentary? Another part's going, is this... A drama is this a comedy, and then halfway through, you're so invested in the characters, you don't give a shit. Yeah. It's just you are watching these characters, and yeah. I was pretty much convinced ninety percent of the way through that yeah, okay, this is really is a documentary. And then parts of me, that little thing in my brain's going, mm. I've got to look this up at the end of it just to find out. But it is such a worthwhile watch, and it's 
Yeah. Yeah, I would watch that again in a heartbeat. So so thank you very much for that recommendation. That was my top film of the year. Great. Nice. Yeah. I definitely recommend checking out some of the Ross Brothers' other films as well if you get a chance. There's a film called Western, which is set at the border, um, which is really good. Excellent. It's um, about um, Texas-Mexico relationships between two mayors who basically get along as things between the border go badly. Um, but it, again, falls in that observational documentary thing. It's a very different kind of setting, but has a lot of that similar, just hanging out with people. Right. What's your... Uh, right, well, I've got... It's... Ooh, it's hard to narrow down. But, um, <laughs> I will point out... Was I the those... only one who narrowed down before then? <laughs> I'm going to point out that uh, of the two of us, uh, Darren's holding a, a full... Uh, A4 sheet of notes, and I've got a post-it note, so that really shows the way. A folded post-it note, folded fair, one, which, with everything crossed you've out. loved over. Yeah, so, I've, yes. I've crossed things out three times, but it all fitted on a post-it note. So, See, Darren, I, whereas I did it on my computer and just kept deleting things that I changed <laughs> my mind. Well, it's... Um, I've narrowed it down to two. Um, so one will be... A, um, let's just say American Utopia. I just enjoyed the fuck out of that movie. It's a, a concert movie, which I think is the only thing that comes close to um, Stop Making Sense. Now, this is David Burns. David Burns. Oh, it is David Burns. I do want to see because yeah. I'm and talking heads fan. I wish I dragged you out to the theatre for it. Yeah, just timing, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I saw it on, a, um, on an afternoon session at the, uh, the Vic in Devonport, which is a great cinema. I saw it in Cinema 3, which is a... A small, large cinema, so there's right. lots of seats. Well, uh, uh, but the uh, the screen is is bigger than the amount of seats that are there. Which, um, and it was just such an experience. I didn't know any of his new songs. Right. I knew the old stuff. Yeah, and it didn't. None of that mattered because no. it was so entertaining, mm. and all hinging on the idea that. Um, an audience comes to see the musicians and the music. They don't want to see all the amps and the wires on the ground, so they get rid of all that shit. Yeah. Yep. And it's and the amount of energy. I I was thinking there's no way he could have the same amount of energy that he had in the original, the first yeah, movie. Well, that was and he ago. doesn't, but he makes up for it. He still has a lot of energy, but he makes up for it with all the dancers and everyone else. Yes. You can. It's, a, it's an insight, I think, just seeing the clips online of well, people videotaping the, some of the early shows and putting it on YouTube. It's an insight into how his mind works because he is so obsessive about everything. Every every movement you can see is choreographed, and it's it's definitely mm. all coming out of David's head. That his his OCD saying this has got to be this at this moment. So I saw I saw the show in Auckland, which is prior to his Broadway staging of it. So mm-hmm. they slightly. Um, tweaked the set list and uh, re-jigged a little bit of things here and there for it. And so I think some of his his banter is both more compressed and has a few more. There's a couple of like very on-the-nose references to Once in a Lifetime in his right. banter and things like that. But on the whole, it was a pretty similar uh, mm. thing, only you know at, at spark-sized scale, which is our biggest... Uh, covered stadium in Auckland rather than the more intimate theatre setting and there. did you It's uh, what was better seeing the concert or or, um, or can you even compare I, the I think experiences? 
I didn't really gel with the film, and I think I might have just not been in the right space for it. But also, I felt like a lot of the changes to make it into a theater show just made it that slight bit more theatrical. Um, and it also, because it was... So one of the cool things is a lot of it's filmed on the stage as well. So mm-hmm. it's actually quite immersive. But what you gain from that, which is quite considerable at points, because there is a lot of detail of what, you know, like what even are people playing when they're playing percussion? Mm. It's like, oh, I see, they're playing castanets there. Um, but um, you lose sort of the over, overall scale and geometry of that, and then also just the surprises of the set list, because um, I'd also seen Burn on the um, Everything That Happens Will Happen Today tour, right. and there was barely any Talking Head stuff in that, and so and he's hasn't played much Talking Head stuff through his solo career uh, tours, you know, a few mm. a few songs, but certainly not as heavy as he's gone here, and mm. so um, so yeah, it's hard. It, it was kind of hard for me to compare it. I mean, I think Spike Lee did a great job with it. I thought those overhead shots were great. I thought mm. the immersion of it with like I can't really fault what how it was made into a film. I don't have any better ideas of mm. how to do it. Um, I felt like so, oh, you know, this is a very pedantic criticism, but we, we're bringing it on. Come on, okay, okay, we're I'm, ready. I, I'm a drummer, okay, and <laughs> I think symbols are important. And all none of these arrangements, except for one or two that have hand symbols, hmm. have any symbols. And there's something about the way that symbols articulate space and rhythm and music. And it's just like, I realized that it was something I felt that was lacking in a lot of those songs for me. So, so just, did you find that in the concert? I then? didn't notice it in the concert. I think because all the other stuff and was And you weren't quite, so close as well. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Camera, yeah. Um, anyway, like I, I, it's, it's something that so many people have said was the film of the year for them. Um, and I think, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have seen it without seeing the concert and taking it all in at once. But at the same mm. time, the concert was amazing. So. Now, oh, have cool. you seen the Beastie Boys movie that uh, came out? Because we got to see that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, oh, Beastie Boys Story. Beastie Boys Story. Yes. I've heard really yeah. mixed things about it. Was it good? We, I really enjoyed that it. Was yeah. That was another Spike. That was, yeah. Uh, Spike, Spike Jones. Once again, yeah, Spike yeah. Jones doing that on, um, and once again, filming basically a stage performance. Right. Okay. And then just you know editing it to but, but it was more but, a spoken word thing yeah it was, and right. it was it was a really really well done i really enjoyed it i okay. mean I'm, and i wouldn't say i was the biggest beastie boys fan in the world i mean i like the beastie boys but i you know i, I wouldn't go listen to their albums all the time just that makes one of us time. but okay but it's it really watching that i after that i spent a week listening to yeah. beastie boys stuff because of mm. some of the things in that one that really gave you a, and a real insight into where they were coming from Something I'm wrestling a lot with now is like this whole kind of film versus film performance divide. Because mm. like Hamilton came out this year on Disney Plus, and it's I kind of put a thing as like, is that even a movie? You know, and some people are like, oh yes, of course it is. You know, it's a filmed performance, and it's like, yeah, but it's just kind of there. Yeah, I don't know. So. But then again, American Utopia is a movie, and uh, maybe be, but you know, I mean, there's this what the Constitution means to me thing on Amazon that some people are talking about. It's like a one-woman mm. stage show. Um, one of my favorite films of Doc Edge was uh, Who Let the Dogs Out, which quite literally was just like this guy doing this TED Talk, more or less, working out who in fact did let the dogs out <laughs> and who wrote Who Let well, the Dogs Out. On YouTube this year, uh, last year, oops, um, last year they there's a whole lot of national theater um, available to yeah. watch. Uh, but I don't think of that as a movie, even though yeah. it was filmed. Mm. It's to me, it's a different experience. The, the thing here, 
with American Utopia is how the camera moved. Yes. It did feel like a filmed the a filmed experience. And there are a few interventions as well. Um, mm. It's in the Janelle Monet cover. Yes, I figured things. that wouldn't have been there. Like that, yeah. And that was um, really powerful stuff. Yeah. Now, it, weirdly enough, here. Oh, here's another thing. At the time, that was sort of at the trough of Trump's here. He's never going to get out. You know, this is just mm. all going to hell. There had just been. Um, I, I can't even remember which shootings, but there just been a flare-up in, you know, mm. uh, Black Lives Matter coming up before that. And so, so much of the political content of American Utopia felt quite vital in speaking truth to power, whereas seeing it in December 2020, after the election, mm. felt a bit like saying, hey, let's go to Women's March, and, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, or so, you know it, just, it just felt a bit like, yep, we, it didn't have that same kind of elemental punch, kind yeah. of mm. thing, and there's like, there's even a voting PSA in the film, yes, which is yeah. a little bit like, eh. anyway, so sorry, I've taken over your American no, no, Utopia, no, which I do uh, recommend to anyone who hasn't seen it, yeah, and it was, Skeet should definitely be yeah, watching definitely, it post haste. It, it yeah. definitely it caught me by surprise. Um, I was expecting to enjoy it, but I thought that the, I mean, Stop Making Sense is just one of the best one of yeah. the greatest, greatest concert films of all time. Yeah, and, yeah. and I really, I don't. Uh, it, I'm too close to American Utopia now. I would say in another couple of years, I'd be able to tell you if it got close to it or surpassed it. But I yeah. think David Burns' energy on on stage, the way he plays up to the camera, the way it felt more than just a concert. It's um, yeah. was. Yeah. I think that just really drove, brought me along with it. And that was, I, I uh, think both positively and negatively, there's much more self-awareness of performing for the camera in this than there is in Stop Making Sense. Oh, and what I do also, have everyone to was say, doing a lot less cocaine. He felt like, <laughs> and, and some true stories, which was shown last year, was a true ex- experience seeing that movie, which um, David Byrne was the director. Did he direct? He it? directed it. Yeah. And- Starting it, and I think wrote it as and, well. And yeah. never yeah. once seemed like a human being. No. He, he seemed like an alien visiting <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Earth. And this uh, it, uh, that added to my experience of American Utopia, where he felt like his own quirky human being, but he felt like a human. He like felt it, like he found his, his place. In yeah. Yes. Human being. Yeah. And, and especially he even acknowledges it's only taken him forty years, so yeah, it's better, yeah. better than most of us, I reckon. He even <laughs> acknowledges it with the everyone's coming to my house. It's, yeah. um Where he gets um, a bunch of children to uh, to sing it, and they sing it as a celebration, even though the it still has a minor key sound. Yeah. They, and for him, it's uh, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. <laughs> and and he acknowledges it on stage. But yeah, that was tremendous. I have a runner-up, but we can come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> this may be our first two-part podcast, where we? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> look, I mean, Grand Bazaar was great. Possessor was great. Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets was great. Um, there are some other f- f- documentaries that played at the film festival that were great. Um, I'm going to just single out uh, a film that's really stuck with me that... I I mean I only saw it a few weeks ago, but um, and I'd been looking forward to it too a long time. It's called Sound of Metal, and it's on Amazon Prime, and it stars Riz Ahmed as a heavy metal drummer who is in a duo and is um, losing his hearing, 
and uh, is also a recovering addict and has been, um, and as a result, uh, well, I won't even say as a result what happens next, other than it's taking a hearing person, uh, for a hearing person who's losing their hearing and immersing them into the world of deaf people in a very real way, including a key actor who's deaf himself. And, um, and so there's a lot of political issues in the deaf community and there's lots of things like that, but just the, um, the, uh, this originally came to my attention because, uh, several years ago, the guy who made Blue Valentine and Place Beyond the Pines, Derek Chanfrance, was going to make this film with a band called Jucifer, who are a um, duo, and he was kind of tossing it around, and then he started shooting some stuff with this, and then he met this guy, I don't know the exact order of things, but this guy, Darius Motter, I think his name, that made this film, and eventually... Darius was like, look, I think this is, I, I want to make this film. Are you, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm going to go off to New Orleans, uh, to New Zealand to make the white pit between oceans. So, you know, you can make the good film instead. And so uh, Darius took that bargain. And so he made the great film and just the, um, the level of, um, detail in the sound design, um, Riz Ahmed's performance, uh, all the performances really, and it, it's a script that is smart enough to just say the right amount and to give you the to let you experience the moments with the characters as they're as he's trying to work out through. I mean, as as a drummer myself who's had hearing issues, nothing nowhere near as bad, but it's a it's it's a waking nightmare. But also seeing like. You know, I mean, I also this also gets into a whole other sphere of things where I have friends who are disabled as well, and the whole way the disabled community feels about how they should be treated, and you know, and and this is something that's big in the deaf community as well, is that deafness isn't necessarily something to be fixed. It's something that only because of the way we've set up our society is in itself a disability. Like you know, it, there's no reason that being in a wheelchair or being in crutches should be any more difficult to get around mm. other than that people however many years ago built this house with steps in it yeah and and so on and so forth and yeah so and, and it has a great um late breaking third act cameo from one of my favorite french actors that i won't spoil but it also has the single best uh ending of the year and i'll probably get teared up if i talk about it anymore so wow. on that note um yeah definitely check it out it's on amazon prime and uh and yeah exceeded my very high expectations for it and the the film i was I, i've still not decided whether american utopia is number one or saint maud i've Ooh, spoken yeah. about it before i've seen it twice in the cinema which is very rare for me and it would have only been a, a two-week gap or something. It's a film that just completely took me by surprise, as I think the best ones do. It's is that because the curtains closed part? <laughs> In the second screening, that uh, which was uh, Doug's <laughs> first screening, that's what certainly That was happened. a real surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a tremendous film, an amazing performance yeah. by... Morford Griffin or something? One of those, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah Jennifer L is is great it's just and the camera work the the direction of that movie its director is Rose, Rose Glass yes Gla yeah Rose Rose Glass for for those who uh, don't hear in American <laughs> um 
<laughs> it's yeah, a great film. That I, I'm sure nobody's ever really heard the American accent before this no. podcast. No. <laughs> it's, not a it's not a country with a lot of cultural reach. No. <laughs> Both my son and my niece say tomato. Oh my god! And it's really? Let them go. Just yeah. cut them off. You don't yeah. need them. You could call the whole thing off. We <laughs> we, we do do that gay quite regularly. Yes. What'd you say? Tomato, 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 tomato. Call the whole thing off. Yeah, done. But yes, <laughs> it's um, if you do get a chance, do try and see um, Saint Maud. It's just it's something that has stuck with me a lot, and I think it's terrific as well. Yeah, and I'm yet to see it. <laughs> and um, it is incredibly warm in here. So shall we take a very brief uh, pause, should. and then we will uh, duck into our theme, which we yes. will announce just in a moment. Welcome back, and this is where we actually get into the meat of the episode after three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> we did watch the movies, so we should probably talk about them, but uh, probably briefly compared to what we've been chatting about before. Well, but, uh, we talk too much, which is why we have a podcast. Exactly, yes. yeah. It's, otherwise, it's just a bunch of guys hanging out. It's been boring twice to using, each other. Yeah, well, yeah. we're yeah. using this for good and not evil. <laughs> That's debatable, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you mean we can use it for evil, too? <laughs> so, our theme... Uh, we're going right back to what we mentioned at the start about driving <laughs> movies. Our theme is three movies themed around driving with five-letter titles that are not the more recent and familiar movies with those titles. <laughs> and yeah. for bonus points, we've <laughs> have done them so that if you put them in the correct order, um, they form a, a, a safety PSA narrative. Yes, because um, our movie's titles are... Drive... Speed and crash because it has an exclamation mark in the title, so you have to say crash <laughs> just like that. <laughs> um, and so we start with Drive from 1997. Fuck you, Nicholas Winding Refn. <laughs> this was here first. I actually quite like Drive, um, I, I quite like that, yeah. but I like this one a lot too. So I was going to try to write up a um, summary of Drive, but I couldn't improve on the letterbox summary. <laughs> A prototype-enhanced human, on the run from Chinese-hired hitmen, hooks up with a dreadlocked bystander, and the two of them elude their pursuers narrowly each time. That pretty <laughs> much sums it up, really. It misses but, out lots of, yeah. of nuance along the way. Yeah, which we'll, we'll get into everything. that quote-unquote nuance. sums and, up the, the basic bare bones of it before they hang everything of the 1990s in there. Yes. And we only watched Drive this morning. Yes, so it's that. very fresh in our... Uh, Heads. Uh, it's directed by a fellow named Steve Wang. This is his fourth and final feature. Um, his other ones, uh, he did the first two Guyver films, ah. which uh, I haven't seen, but Mark Hamill stars in, and, mm-hmm. uh, and also something called Kung Fu Rascals. Uh, he's also <laughs> directed many episodes of Kamen Rider, but his main um, call to fame is a long career in effects, makeup, and creature design. His credits include Predator, Gremlins 2, Underworld, The Monster Squad, Harry and the Hendersons. He's credited as the creature guy in Deep Star 6, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, um, and most recently is the robot in Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, so this is a buddy comedy. Uh, we've got our martial arts guy on one side, and that's Mark Dacascos, who plays Toby Wong. He And Mark Dacascos is a professional martial artist who was born in Hawaii and competing in tournaments from the age of seven. Uh, and then 
somebody said, hey, you should get into movies and kick people. And so he uh, <laughs> naturally Good came money. up through films like Double Dragon and Kickboxer 5 and then uh, went on to Crying Freeman, The Brotherhood of the Wolf, and has been, most recently been seen in John Wick 3 and the Netflix series Woo Assassins. Um, he also plays the chairman in I- Iron Chef America. Which is uh, weird. I, he kept turning on screen and I went, oh, I know yes. that guy. And then I suddenly thought, okay, that's Iron Chef. But also, yeah. the back of my brain was going... Double Dragon, one of the two guys from Double Dragon, because that is one of my all-time favorite silly '90s action movies. It right. is, and if you don't like it, I hate you, and you're not invited to my house. I haven't seen it, so maybe we can uh, <laughs> do a triple at uh, some stage. Yes. We'll have to, I've got to show you that because it's just it's fun on a bum. It's just and Mark Dacascos in the Iron Chef. If you've never <laughs> seen anyone be so enthusiastic as this week's secret ingredient, potato. <laughs> Yes. I don't know, he's pretty enthusiastic when he's singing along the car. With, um, because this is the 90s, we have a black, uh, streetwise sassy sidekick, played by Kadeem Hardison, who cut his teeth in film on things like Rappin', I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, Death by Temptation, and White Men Can't Jump, so obviously a, a different but similar ghetto. Um, but of course, uh, his cl- main claim to fame was in the uh, Cosby Show spinoff, A Different World. Um, Quite a few other names in the cast, but one um, worth particularly calling attention to is Brittany Murphy as Deliverance, <laughs> who um, had already Deliverance had an ex- Bodine, Deliverance Bodine, um, and we'll talk about wow. her character quite a bit. Um, now, now we watched um, <laughs> the commercially available cut in New Zealand, which is on Amazon Prime, which is ninety-eight minutes. Um, and uh, it's noted that the U.S. DVD, VHS, and cable showings of this cult film are the Robbie Little cut, in which a producer on the film edited 20 minutes out of it, leaving a 98-minute running time and replacing the original soundtrack with a techno-based score. Deleted scenes include a scene in Malik's house where Malik and Toby enter his daughter's room and they talk about his four-year-old daughter and how much he loves her. A scene in which Hedgehog and Madison question the existence of aliens. Hedgehog and Madison are our two bad guys, which are played by a uh, tubercular drunk and a um, country star ripoff. Um, a scene after the motel fight, and calling it the motel fight undersells it dramatically, but anyway, where Deliverance hugs Toby and Mallet gets a bit jealous. A scene in which Toby reveals he has a brother and they were both singers once. Um, and I, I also saw something online that wasn't here that was saying that they did the whole he Mark Dacascos song at karaoke that they did the whole song instead of just oh, the three song. verses they said wow and a longer version of the final fight in which Toby delivers a new kick <laughs> <laughs> so um, so for the completists out there um, and my guilty confession is this is one of the reasons I started this podcast is I wanted an excuse <laughs> to show these guys drive at some point and they probably haven't noticed but it's been on spreadsheets it's all been along on a number of and, and, yeah. and I've been looking for an excuse and then when we heard of Crash I, I said oh that sounds like a stupid enough idea to do a podcast <laughs> only we could come up with a third film and someone said speed I said speed yeah and, I just looked up and went there's a movie from the 19th 19- 30s called Speed and and it's got Jimmy Stewart it's got Jimmy yes. Stewart and the podcast was set in stone and we recorded a week later yes <laughs> I don't know about you Skeet but I feel so used oh, oh. I'm, seriously I mean <laughs> I, I'm over it I forgive him but. yeah so <laughs> so how do you guys feel about Drive I loved Drive just awesome unbelievable so, fun on several bones <laughs> yeah basically I mean it's it's a it's a movie where you're just looking at it going this is every movie of the 1990s compressed into one movie. There's a bit of Universal Soldier. 
There's a bit of Rush Hour, which oddly enough didn't come out for another year afterwards. So uh, I found something online where Brett Ratner is quoted as having said that he's grateful that um, because Drive was done direct to video, so it never played never theaters. Played theaters. And Brett Ra- Ratner said to um, Steve Wing, "I am so glad that you, your film didn't get put out on theaters because you would have made more money, and Rush Hour would have seemed like a ripoff if people it had seen really, this first. It just it's had such a shame. Um, too, such a feeling yeah. that, that yeah. it should have been the Rush Hour because Rush Hour." Is massive and people love it, and I've always found it a bit, you know, it's okay, but it's not one of the I've somehow pieces. still never seen it, but Chris Tucker's one of those guys that never really appealed to me that much. That yeah. seems fair, stick to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not for everybody, let's put it that way. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and there's, there's a bit of Jetley's the one in there. There's, it's just every time you think this movie has given you enough, it finds something else to give. <laughs> And that's mainly Brittany Murphy. Oh, my God. <laughs> so my, my theory is that Brittany Murphy was told... Um, Do what you like. No, I think she was specifically told, you have been drinking Mountain Dew for the last eight hours. <laughs> You've learned everything you know about the world through watching Twin Peaks and um, dumb action films. And all you think about is sex. And she's like... I can do something with that. <laughs> Perfect action. And I'm, I'm quoting myself from something I said while we were watching this movie, is that Brittany Murphy is the human personification of sex in this film. <laughs> and it is so close to the actual and truth. Only in a, and in she doesn't, and she, we don't even get so much as cleavage. I think she's pretty no, much worried. No. It's, not, it's not that kind of film. It, although, it does, to be fair, it does have somebody chainsawing an arm off while that arm's holding a machine gun and continues to spiral. And hilariously, so th- that's, that's just kind of steps up a couple there's of no gags. Blood. There's no, no it's just, it's just, it's just yeah. to set up for some punchlines later on down there. Yeah. Know, it's, the, the, it chiefly is a comedy. But yeah, it, there is no sex. There's no, there's, there's no skimpy anything either, for that matter. It's just that her whole embodiment is sex. Yeah. Yes. Two men have walked into the room. Which one am I going to boink first? And it's let's not even walked into the room. They park a car, <laughs> and she is through the window before she has even seen them. Yeah, there is there are short shorts in the window. Where, yeah, just it's sort of like Lolita really? with a head injury. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's kind of, I mean, it, it, the movie is, is sailing along beautifully at that point. And as yeah. I say, it suddenly goes, we've got something else to get yeah. here. For the, next, for the next 30 minutes, it's the Britney Murphy show. She's not going to be in it the whole way through. And if she was from oh start to finish, God, be you, would be, you would be infuriated yeah. by the end of it. But it's just the right amount of insane, crazy nympho girl. And we haven't even talked about uh, Tracy Walter and John uh, Piper <laughs> Ferguson yet. Yes. But, uh, Tracy Walter, I mean, he is he's the, the character that you always spot, and, you know, he's, he always plays the same thing. He always looks like one of the Muppets after something's exploded. <laughs> the hair's always up in the air. He always looks like he's just wandered on the set. He's normally eating, in this movie, he's eating something in every scene when he's not holding a gun. Yeah. But even when he ran into one scene, and everybody's in... and you can instantly pick him up because he's the only one acting he comes in acting like he's actually run somewhere everyone else is doing the 90s stand around with the gun he's breathing heavily he looks like he's just about to pass out to be fair he also looked like he was trying to pass out when he was sitting at the side of the uh, (laughs) street you know talking about cupcakes he doesn't have Um, a lot of dialogue does he but he's he's an integral part of it he basically his whole career has been vagrant or vagrant with a gun uh, he was uh, in Batman as one of the one of the heavies with right. Jack Nicholson. Uh, his most recent performance was 2016 Wakefield as homeless. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I love him in, in Repo Man, where he gets he gets to do. Is it, is it, he's, he's in Repo Man, am I right? I'm does pretty the, sure he would. Pretty be, sure he yeah. was be doing the the uh, the plate of shrimp speech. Oh, it's been a it's, it's been, been way a long too long. Time. Yeah, I'm ninety nine percent sure he does the plate of shrimp. Yeah. And one of the first times I noticed him was in a, a TV movie comedy thing, and he was describing. Uh, some people describe him as a moody drifter. First is moody. Then he drift again. <laughs> as long as he doesn't crowd you. <laughs> I, I think one of the um, there's a couple of things about the there's a whole in, inventive streak throughout this. I mean, we have coin foo, we have um, sunglasses foo, we have car foo, we have motorcycle motorcycle foo. foo. There's some uh, great dope bike foo in this one. Yeah, and there's a lot of wire work. I mean, I was expecting to see a lot of Hong Kong names yeah. in the action and the stunt, and it's Japanese stunt work. Yeah. But yeah, it's, Koichi it's Sakamoto, very who's done much. a lot of work on the Power Rangers stuff. Very oh, much that. Thanks that's to the Mark Dacasco singing, we have two Wong Fu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. there's our so there's a, here's our running worst pun bar. Really. <laughs> <laughs> and that went red real fast. <laughs> Note that one down. But... So one of the points about the timing of this, because we talked about stuff like The Matrix, and so this is a really interesting time, right? Because it's 1997. And so we have like a, a whole ascending arc of stuff that's at its apex in terms of you know the the increasing acceptance of Hong Kong techniques in Hollywood and a bunch of people who are like uh, and supposedly the, the rallying cry for this film is like let's make the U.S. version of Hard Boiled. And, I can see that. Um, oh, the amount of stuntmen that ended up landing back first on something. I went that is the that number is, of times that we flinched because yeah. you know there's a lot of really incredibly impressive like kind of jumps and stuff like mm. that and that you go oh that's really complicated but you know they're just like the landing with a metal bar on the middle of your back oh. or on the side of a table and you just it, yeah, I, yeah. I, I hope the massage therapist got paid double for this <laughs> one um, but yeah but but it also it's just before CGI comes in you know so we don't have the kind of the post matrix thing yet you can imagine the version of this three or four years later where these um, enhanced bioengine guys are doing all sorts of really stupidy CGI enhanced yeah, and it would look things. terrible. I mean, this was it was yeah. it was wild work. It was guys flying, flipping around through the. I mean, we we it was, we hit it every running gag where every time someone went out a window, somebody had to do six rolls to get out the window. But he could have just hopped straight over them. Oh yeah, Mark Dacascos could not just jump over something. He had no. to uh, vertical flip roll, horizontal, if, horizontal if, side. If he came to your house and scrambled an egg, you would be cleaning <laughs> yeah. up for days. <laughs> Stop flipping! Just yeah. just make the eggs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, can we talk about John Piper Ferguson? Yes, we <laughs> I don't, didn't know the name, but my God, I love this guy. It was killing me to think of what country star he was emulating. Because uh, he's, he's, he, he is the Randy most rednecky guy. I will, will admit, I, my Grand Theft Auto online character is a redneck juggalo, and I made him to make as rednecky as possible. Tonight, I am changing his haircut to give him the long, flowing, <laughs> flowing locks of Mr. John Piper Ferguson circa 1997, because... It's everything you want, and and his lines are just hysterical. I've, if that character, if he was real, even if he was that evil, I would hang out with him and watch television one night just <laughs> to hear him be sarcastic to people. John Piper Ferguson essentially played the same role in one of my favorite TV shows of all time back in '93 and '94, The Adventures of Briscoe County Junior. He played a character called Pete Hutter. Who was the a, a comedy villain sidekick 
who becomes a kind of a good guy later on in the series. But he's um, he gets shot half a dozen times in most episodes. <laughs> he is absolutely hilarious and likable. It's uh, John Piper Ferguson has um, he's gone on to play lots of more higher caliber characters and more higher uh, some well here's, higher a, here's status. our ludicrously specific connection. Ludicrous Ooh. connection. He was in the movie Drive in 2011. Whereas Mark DeCascos was in a movie only a couple of years ago called The Driver. <laughs> so everything is oh, circular in this one. That's so the I, one with Frank Grillo? Is uh, no, it, uh, no, uh, no, that's uh, Wheelman, I think. Well, yeah, that's uh, a, yeah, Wheelman was the which is one. Yeah, very it was The Driver 2019, and he plays The Driver. Right. Oh, so okay. Mark DeCascos apparently every so often just has to get behind the wheel or something. He can drive very quickly. Well, so. Mark DeCascos was in John Wick 3. Is yes, one the of one. That. He was really, really good in that. Um, speaking of connections, because we haven't talked m- much about the vehicular side of this film, and it's not, it, despite the name, it doesn't lean on that a whole lot. No. But there's a fair bit at the start, um, specifically including a Dodge Challenger. <laughs> Hello, Vanishing Point. <laughs> yes. now, it's, now, it's 1973, and it's red instead of uh, yeah. that. So you can't so have everything. Here, and, it, yeah. and it does literally spend half the movie with another bit of car <laughs> attached to it, which is We amazing. did say good continuity, because that's <laughs> yeah. the first thing they do with it is crash it, embed this in the front of it, shoot it with the bullets on the side, and the continuity is perfect with the rest of it. So, yeah. well done, the continuity And in, in fairness to uh, Race with the Devil, there are motorcycles in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. There's my movie in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so and, and there be, perhaps there's a, actually a satanic cult going on in the hotel <laughs> that we didn't it know. It could easily about. be. Yeah. I think Br- Brittany Murphy's character might be the pinnacle <laughs> yeah. of that. I mean, the movie is driving. They do have to drive from one place to another, but, but if you wanted to name it more descriptively, it just could be called Face Kick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marty Cascos kicks yeah. people in the face in amazing ways, and he—he he is to give the, the the literal bit of the plot summary is he is an enhanced human, the first person who's had a a device, a bio engine. It looks something. when they 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 showed it briefly a prop, and it looked like a, an artificial heart on legs, which seemed unwieldy. I think the legs were just to like actually position it on the desk. <laughs> oh, he's so it didn't look like a magic eight ball. <laughs> <laughs> he's JCBD with a vague personality. Exactly. And he's, he's, yeah. he's, he gets chased by an upgraded version of that. So for the final swap fights, you've always got to have them. And I looked up the actor who played that girl. Upgrade. Messiah, Ka- Messiah, I'm sorry, Messiah Kato. Yep. And he's done 120 different things, mostly in Japan. So his bio in your IMDb reads, He is an actor known for Drive, 1997, and Godzilla, 1998. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the biggest fuck you an actor can probably have. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, but, yeah, he was... I mean, he's... Basically, he was... If, if it was John Claude Van Damme, he is, of course, the, the Dolph Lundgren of this movie. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue. He doesn't have to deliver it in any particular mm. way. He's just there to look impressive and get the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, so, and but also kick the shit out of somebody shit out who we've seen kick, kick shit, the shit out, out of everyone else. And, the and as a, a now, person who loves martial arts films, I was enjoying this. It's, Every fight scene, they up the ante. They have fight scenes in the smallest possible spaces. Oh, the hotel room site. You know, just, uh, just endless fl- creativity of using the... It was almost just kind of like stunties and, and fight coordinators sitting around getting drunk and be like what would be the hardest thing to make interesting that we've done a thousand times? A hotel room. Okay, what's the coolest thing we could do in there? Hotel room. 
tasers, boots on your hands. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, the boot food. <laughs> oh, boot food. We're not even going to describe boot, boot food. But the car food where he's got the classic yellow car and he's like, you know, jumping around on top, on top of it and that. slamming the door in Very, very Jackie Chan, oh. Twin Dragons sort of moves there. It's, yeah. And it's, it's, it does also, for me, it's a B-movie Oscar for the, it's got to be high on the list of walking away from explosions, running away from explosions that in no way could you have run away from. Right. That's the one bit of it where I kind of went, wow, that special effect doesn't last very well. Oh, and good. the one where they um, react to the explosion all at different, different times. Different times. <laughs> I like that. Mark Dacascos goes it's first. A little, it's a little more realistic. Well, to be fair, Mark is enhanced. Yeah, so, so maybe, true. Maybe... Um... Go, go, go. <laughs> yeah. Brittany, just whenever you feel oh, like oh, it. Relative to the speed of sound, you'd think there's only so much enhancement. <laughs> Brittany Murphy was probably just loving it, just going, yes. <laughs> well, that was her big bang. Oh, yeah. One, one of the um, side delights of this film, because there's so many little inexplicable things of it. The writer, whose name I've forgotten by, I looked it up. This was his first film, and he's mostly done a lot of B-horror since and nothing that pops out. But they did. The, they created this whole television universe. Oh, And gosh, in specific, yes. they paid attention. A lot of attention to Walter the Einstein Frog, who is apparently <laughs> a preternaturally intelligent frog who informs um, somebody in the first episode it's that we watched that he um, that they have pancreatic cancer, <laughs> and, and, oh, and, and, and it's some, in the middle of the getaway um, from something. Um, the um, Deliverance and uh, our and Toby, Toby uh, and. Yeah. Uh, are you know are having this chat about how much they love that really intelligent frog, frog and it's, yeah and, and it's just, that that's i felt like they 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 were they were supposed to just react in silence because it's a long silence then both the male actors start cracking up and you know yeah. that was just the actors because her delivery yeah. is just out of the blue there's um there's that famous scene in shark attack three where there's a really ludicrous <laughs> yeah. line of yes. thing that was delivered so, only to get the bad actress take you home and eat your pussy that one yes <laughs> thank that you john barrowman yes. barrowman being awesome that was never intended but you know and i i feel it you know there's a bit where um toby's beating up people in the um car garage and like um, Brittany Murphy starts doing like these cheerleading moves <laughs> and it just feels like there was a lot of stuff where they were just you know having a great put time the and the on. editor said why not am I supposed to put this in but yeah, but yeah. no okay I'll, nope. I'll wait till somebody tells me not to and then <laughs> next minute yeah yeah so it's it's it is a joyous explosion of just insanity and face kicking and yeah so mm. drive i give five roundhouse kicks to the face yes definitely Absolutely. five and a half it was yeah a great and that's a thank you doug thank you very yes. much doug. So that might not that thank you might not stay yeah, we, we might are... withdraw that thank you <laughs> over the course of the year we but... are going to look through his list and see what else has made multiple, uh, <laughs> multiple suggestions just in case but definitely the i think of the highlight of the three movies and yeah oh, gosh as yes. we're about to go from the highlight to a light speed. <laughs> the very Which was my suggestion. Speed. And I hadn't yeah. seen it. I just looked up to see what was called speed, to see if there was a movie, and yeah. there it was. And, and Darren, this is your introduction. This is my introduction by uh, courtesy of IMDb and uh, Wikipedia, and I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> speed. Here we go. With the help of his mechanic buddy, an engineer, and the company's attractive new publicist, an automotive test driver struggles to develop a new carburetor by entering cars in the Indy 500 and speed trials at California's Muroc Dry Lake. I really feel like that undersells the... um the major story of it, which is about workplace sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. 
This it's, is a real early Jimmy Stewart one. So this is 1936. First, first full year he was working with really. It's his first lead, yeah. um, but he had been doing a... Um, he'd done few appearances before and um, many appearances after. <laughs> it's... Um, it's right between Small Town Girl and the Gorgeous Hussie. And, and the thing you could say about uh, Jimmy Stewart is he's kind of like an unmodern day Tom Hanks. He's, he's, he's uh, in most things. I mean, well, that's right. that's a, a play on the fact that Tom Hanks is always compared to Jimmy yeah, Stewart Jimmy throughout Stewart, his yeah. career. It's um, it's a film. Um, <laughs> It's, a, it's seventy minutes long, so it's not that long. It may feel slightly longer because yeah. it is. It's there's a lot of melodrama in this. Let's it starts off promisingly, um, other than the fact that the new hire seems to be free, afraid of the very concept of cars. Like even before she, like even before she reacts to the car stunts that we're seeing, she like walks by a car and it starts, and she's like, ah, oh, and I'm like. Wow, and yeah, yeah, little yeah, did yeah. I know that was the high point for female representation in the film. Yeah, but, yeah um, the, 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 the politics of the time do not hold up particularly well. I'm not, I'm not even sure they're the politics of the time. <laughs> I think I think it just it's, it's like somebody is like was given the the a, sort of the scope of it is like okay, well, how do you fill out the story? What if I just put all my hateful feelings about women in? Sold, <laughs> you know, I mean, literal quote. I wonder if it's worthwhile if any woman should climb too high. This is Miss Sanderson, who is she's the just, executive. Oh, wow. Just an executive, um, and she's still kind of having to decide between do I want to be an executive or do I want to be a woman? It reminded it's, me of a reverse vertigo because, like, there's this beautiful woman right there wearing these amazing, like, crazy ass, like, you know, executive, apparently how executives dressed in Hollywood in <laughs> 1936. Um, beautiful blonde woman, and she's—it's the reverse of Vertigo, where you know everybody ignores Midge, who's the clearly. It, in fact, Jimmy Stewart literally ignores mm. Midge, and here you have Jim, Jimmy Stewart clearly ignoring her, while um, everybody competes over the, um, you know, the the new brunette in uh, yeah. publicity. And with Jimmy Stewart, this was—he—he uh, he was in the middle of a seven-year contract with was it Warner Brothers I think um, this was also the middle uh, this the middle film of the nine movies he made that year of 1936 when I scroll through that I couldn't believe how many are in there and he's he doesn't get taken seriously as a lead until 1938 you can't take it with you which is right. Frank Capra and it's all uphill from there or, or, or a good downhill but it's um, you can't take it with you. It's an awesome film, which maybe one day we'll talk about. But uh, uh, till then, Does we're talking about kicking? this. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's possible. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's Jimmy Stewart. Is um, he he could he could kick a face? Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's, there was some one definitely kickable face in this one. There was a definitely punchable face. <laughs> Are we talking about Frank? No, we're talking about Gadget. Yeah. Oh, Gadget. Ted Healy is Gadget, who was of course the the comedy. Sidekick yes. and mechanic, and just thought he was one of the three Stooges. He kept making weird little noises and twitches and things, and, <laughs> and phrases like "Your promises are false, woman." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> and of course that that attitude gets him his his ex girlfriend wanting him back all of yes, a sudden, which absolutely. is yeah. I'm not quite sure that would have. And Frank talks like he's in a 1930s movie. It's the amazing way he speaks is, is that kind of... It's almost a breakneck pace, but it has no real reality in, in how anything actually happens. But I was I was kind of weirded out because when he first appeared, and of course he's in a 1930s suit, and I looked at him, and it's his, his name is... Uh, the actor's Weldon Hayburn, and I went, holy shit, that's Ray Liotta. 
It's radioed <laughs> wow. in Goodfellas in the suit wow. of the nightclub, and I could not get that out of my head because wow. I'm showing you the picture now. I'm going to put it up on Twitter. You tell me that's not Ray Liotta circa 1936. With a slightly squashier face. face. So, oh, man, that is really similar. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's just, the voice this makes picture. great radio. It makes great radio. <laughs> I'm, putting, I'm going to put that picture up on Twitter once I announce, once we announce this episode because if if it wasn't Ray Liotta, it's definitely some sort of distant relative. It's not a time-traveling Ray Liotta, but it just every time he came in there, he had that same suit on because it's the 1930s, you wore a suit. Yeah, and I kept kept flashing into different parts of the movie. I was just I was bored. I admittedly, it was well, every time. Well, that's a there. that's a very reasonable reaction. It's, it's seventeen minutes long, folks. But ten minutes after the start is looking around a, a factory that makes cars, and I was expecting to hear like the nineteen fifties. Well, before this, before sexism keyed in as the main theme, I actually was like, was this funded by the automotive industry? Mm. Because there's all these like his first thing is like. Well, actually, you might think this is unsafe, but this isn't part of the reason that it's safe for all drivers, you know, is because of this. And it just felt like... It felt like a Jam Handy 1950s educational short. Absolutely. Stretched out going... I don't know who Jam Handy is. Jam Handy was the the production company that made these 1950s. Let's go to the farm and learn where milk comes from. Yeah, let's learn where steak comes from. (laughs) Bang. Don't tell anybody, but they'll drill 40 holes into this engine and make it into something that works. I I think I now know how to make a 1930s car. Never wanted to never will but but thank you Steve yeah. but and, then, uh, it is pretty uh, close uh, to a process documentary yeah and then we also get how to commit sexual harassment and then the we get place, a but, yeah. lot of stock footage from the air and that uh, I found was probably for me the most fascinating part because I do like motor racing yeah and seeing these 1930s Indianapolis 500 footage yeah. and Drive Perry. to Survive 1936 wow and it's and of course the first thing that struck me was they get in the car and the mechanic gets in too and it's like I had to look that up because apparently it was compulsory up to 1937, that you had a what they called a riding mechanic, so you had to ride 500 laps with gadgets sitting next to you, <laughs> making. I don't even think I'd drivers. want to go down to the dairy with that. <laughs> 500 miles on those cars, and they were there to check oil pressure and to basically act as what the pits do now, spot to make sure that it was safe to pass anybody. Yeah. And fairness what, to gadget. Yeah. Uh, Why Jimmy Jimmy Stewart is kind of a dick. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, oh, yes. oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> he wasn't a, his golly gee. Um, he was very sad about his lot in life. He, he just kept, oh, he, he called himself just, a mechanic. I want to go to Toshi Station <laughs> <laughs> to see the power convert. Oh, it's, oh. But seriously, I, 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 ten, 10 laps in there, I would have kicked him out and let him go. Sorry, sorry, I'll look after your oil myself. <laughs> Apparently, the fun fact I found out about that was in the very first Indianapolis 500, this is not movie related, one French driver that actually won was considered a danger to the other traffic because he didn't take a mechanic, he had some weird thing called a rear view mirror. Ooh. Weird French bastard. He's <laughs> a witch. <laughs> so they, that was the reason they made it compulsory. So yeah, you did have to drag his ass around there. But that footage, I mean, it's it's fascinating and it's also terrifying watching some of those. Those crashes oh, yeah. that they have in that movie oh, are obviously legitimate crashes that probably maimed or killed somebody. Yeah, so the yeah. car is going over the side and Indianapolis 500 of, yeah. Speedway looks a little different now less trees I <laughs> <laughs> but it's still I mean I don't know if you've watched Formula 1 Drive to Survive on Netflix but I um, if you like motorsport I strongly recommend that it's still a very <laughs> dangerous a, a sport amazing today. documentary called yeah. um, uh, Rally the Killer Years and then they follow okay. up with um, Formula 1 I think the, the Killer Years or F1 the Killer Years the Rally 1 was looking at Rally Series B which is was basically give as much power as you can and spectators 
and then the Formula One was, was an area where they just basically put as many wings on the cars as possible. And at one stage, I think um, I think it was oh, I forget the driver, but he Are spun they off the, both called the killer years. The killer years. He spun off the track. K-I-L-L-E-R. One of the drivers, L-L-E-R. as in the killer years. This is where drivers in, got killed regularly. Right. Okay. So one of the drivers, I forget who it was. So this is like Sterling the faces Moss. of death of uh, yeah, auto racing. He spun off the track in one of the bigger, um, bigger. I think it was Spa circuit. Yeah. And because it wasn't now where you've got a camera on every square inch of it, went down a bank, got trapped, and had to basically find a spanner and get himself out of his car because nobody knew he'd crashed for over half an hour. Oh, God. And so it's, those are fascinating documentaries. Yeah. So wow. that was probably my, my best part of this movie, was seeing this documentary footage. But the in between. It's only like 11 stuff, minutes at most, I would yeah, say, no, of the whole 70 minutes of 60 it. minutes of this is. And the, you know, there's the speed trial at the end, there's the Indy 500, and there's a little. Um, bashing around the test course at the start and that's mm. pretty much it for driving footage other than that little leisurely let's stroll down the lane thing yeah there's, there's a yeah. there's a lot more you know hanging out with each other and you know their love triangle and a lot of technical discussion about cars is oh yeah horizontal yeah. valve if you're interested horizontal in horizontal valves, valves, <laughs> valves, yeah. this is your film show uh pop quiz hot shot <laughs> also yeah the, just the whole like i'm you know it's actually i'm convinced that like this movie foreshadows 2020 because J- Jimmy Stewart's character is the ultimate like Trump voter. Are you pencil pushers with your <laughs> science and knowledge and reason? I you can't compete Wiki- with me. Do you want help? No. <laughs> I noticed on, on Wikipedia that he is actually a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. Right, uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart. So uh, well, there well, you it, go. it fits Later in, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, there, it's kind of like the Metropolis with a head injury in terms of its messaging, you know? Yeah. The connection between the hand and the heart, or the head is through the heart. Um, yeah. But in this way, it's through the and heart. And misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's... We can't rec- I definitely can't ring, but I know okay, none so, of so on the whole, we give uh, it's two face palms. Uh, it's a film. Yeah, I give that, give that one span out of the back of Gadget's head. <laughs> <laughs> I rate that as a movie I watched. <laughs> and and, I, and I even then, I fell asleep I during the 70s. A movie called Speed that just doesn't move at any pace. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, in terms of actually seeing... A film deliver on its vehicular mayhem. Oh my problems. god! <laughs> Here the we name go. is Crash! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! mark. Yes, it yes. fucking delivers on the exclamation yes. mark, if nothing else. <laughs> Which technically is not the same as Crash, the Cronenberg film, or Crash, the Paul Haggis tract. But um, I felt that it was close enough that uh, <laughs> yeah. we could justify it. So this movie uh, is my one to talk about, and it's from 1976. Uh, it was directed by Charles Band, and if anyone's ever been into a, uh, gotten uh, anything out of a video store in the 1980s and 1990s or 2000s, or have looked at Tubi recently, you've seen the output of Charles Band because he is, well, what's what's the what? This prolific. What's above prolific? Charles Band is above <laughs> prolific. Well, if you're thinking of half a cheek, add another one, and then you've got full moon. You've got the full moon. <laughs> oh, yes. He, but he, Charles Band uh, started off with Empire Pictures was his first production company. Who did such things as Reanimator? He's he's done. Well, I can't even. I'm not even going to start listing because he has director credits. Sixty-eight. He producing did the Evil Wong movies. Three hundred and ten producing credits. Oh, oh my yes, God. and fifty-five writing credits. Dead or? Ginger Dead Man with oh, Gary right. Busey. Yes. The best way to describe it is to go onto Tubi, well, like I'm about to do, because <laughs> there is a full moon channel on Tubi, yes, there which is. is things that he has produced. At my last count, there was two hundred and twenty-three movies in that channel. 
And I'm just going to quickly bring that back That's up. That's just another podcast, from just, the... Yeah, <laughs> I, we could just do this for days. So if I just quickly bring this back. Banned in Auckland. <laughs> Here it is, Full Moon Features Channel. I'm not doing a Charles. If I scroll down... If you do a mobile version, Banned no. on the Run. Oh, God. One that we used, watched recently a while back, uh, Castle Freaks was oh, one yeah. of his. Uh, one that came out last year called, predictably enough, Corona Zombies uh, as one of his trances. Uh, yeah, Dark yeah. Angel, Ooga Booga. You, you, can, you can kind of get the gist of the type of movie they're making. Uh, seven different movies from the Evil Bong series. Uh, the Puppet Master series, yes. which I think has now 438 different movies. The Little Strike being There's the most recent. There's a lot of those. All I, the feel like, I feel like, what, like animation and like puppetry is like kind of one of what his they do. do they do signatures. Jack Frost? Jack Frost, I believe, is that probably... That feels like, like I a... I think so. I can't remember off the top. Laser Blast, one of the, um, the oh Mystery Science Theatre beloved films. Uh, Laser Blast, which always gets a lot of love when we start talking about it on, on my Twitter account, is one of his. There is just so many on there. They go back to the 1970s and he has he is constantly putting out producing movies even last year I think when everything was pretty much shut down I think he only put out like 9 or 10 movies which is still pretty Fucking good lazy. when oh, no one wow. else is so Charles Band is just one of these guys that he knows what sells and the moment his big thing seems to be weed he's got a real big thing with weed everything that he's doing at the moment has some sort of weed related theme so I don't know where that's coming from but I'm not one to judge this is one of his earlier ones, 1976, and the I could read the internet movie database uh, summation, but what I'm actually going to do is read the tagline off the poster, because the poster is just, it, if you could describe an 800-car pile-up and compress it into one picture, uh, that's the poster. And I knew it was never going to live up to this poster, because I've seen this poster many times. The tagline is, <clears throat> An occult object takes possession of a driverless car and causes one spectacular crash after another until 50 cars are pounded into a mass of twisted metal. <laughs> the only thing wrong with that is that I don't count 50 cars, but everything and else in that is... There's also it's a, the boat, B-plot. It's a boat, to be fair. That's only the B-plot. <laughs> it's not even clear that that's actually... Like, there's there's a whole way in this way this movie feels like actually like they shot half a movie. Yes, And definitely. then they were like... And, I, and then they were like, oh, shit. Um, we just need to, like come up with something for the rest of the movie because this doesn't Neither work. It doesn't have enough... There's there's, this, there's, there's a lot yeah. of padding in this movie, I'm going to say it right off the this bat. This film has its crazy trousers on and yet it's not compelling in its crazy... It's quite strange it's in that a, respect. It's a weird one. I mean, after I watched it, Aiden, my son said to me, well, what do you think of the movie? And then he said, and I said, I'm not sure. <laughs> I liked bits of it. Yeah. And other bits were kind of like... I really like the opening theme music. That I would have thought a lot of the music was music. really great. It's this. It's a 1976, and you got this funk theme. Comes in the start, comes in at the end, in the middle mm. is just kind of generic musical drivel. But yeah, the funk theme was great. But so, unfortunately, the funk theme after it followed a couple getting killed by what appears to be, you know, the being the chop top brother of the car. Yeah. Then we watch a woman walk around a more a an outside marketplace for like five minutes and yes. the mo- most egregious bit of padding I've seen in a long time the, the weird thing is that I mean the car one of my favorite films it's like a goofier version or those scenes with the car causing mayhem as a goofier version but this way the way this it, the car is filmed is it's so ambivalently evil it's just oh by the way crash yes yeah. it doesn't seem to set out to do anything it's just 
It's a car, and the thing is, it's, it's just it's going a, for a Sunday drive, but causing some shit. And it's quite an interesting comparison because the car in the movie and the car is completely covered in and black, oh. and you can't see anything. This and one but it has so much personality, yeah. and this one's yeah. a convertible. So the moment you see it, there's no one driving it, and you kind of go, "Well, I guess that's evil then." <laughs> Could you have painted me a bigger picture? Oh. Yeah. But also, also in terms of fitting these two storylines together, so just to clarify the other storyline is uh sue lion walking around this outside market for ages and then she buys a one-eyed fetus monster amulet that um (laughs) turns out to be some kind of evil um but also like her husband is a wheelchair-bound asshole yeah and ferrera jose Jose ferrera jose ferrera yeah yeah. and um father of uh, the late mcgraw uh, Ferrero, who was you know one of the great, great characters Robocop, of the uh, Robocop yeah. oh, 80s and, and 90s Mel, character actors. And uh, Jose Ferrer, I think, is... I'm pretty sure I'm on the right wavelength here. He was the main villain in one of uh, a favourite uh, 50s movie, Scaramouche, with Stuart Granger. It's, right. uh, he's that very could be possible. Seeing. I think he actually... Um, I looked it up because I was... Or is it I, when I looked it up as his IMDb one, I'm like, this is actually an Oscar winner in a movie about a possessed Sulan and a killer convertible, which shows them where his career was at the time, because he had multiple Oscar nominations and wins. Uh, no, Mel Ferrer. Mel Ferrer, yeah. In oh, the no. same family. But another, another one, the Ferrer. The common Ferrer. <laughs> oh, that one's not going on the Wall of Fame, I'll tell you that. No, that's okay. But, um, as an aside, um, John Hayes, who is a... Um, uh, trash director of such films as Sweet Trash and The Hang Up and Demoniac. Uh, Demon- I don't even know how to pronounce Demo- that. Film. Demoniac. That one, yeah. yeah. Um, appears briefly as the guy who's squabbling with his wife in the car, and then eventually oh, yes. the police car lands on his head. And also did the sound, so he's to blame, apparently, for the absolute terrible sound <laughs> in the film. I had real That's trouble following a lot that, of that. Yeah, there was, there's a lot of echo in some of those things. And the yeah. fact that it's um, Jose Ferrer's plans to kill his wife uses a dog as the murder weapon. The dog is not so much an angry dog, but as I wrote down, the kerfuffler. <laughs> basically, the kerfuzzler. <laughs> basically just causing a little bit of pandemonium yeah. so the car crashes. Yeah, it's it's an odd kind of thing. I mean, how do you train a dog to do I thought maybe the dog was possessed as well. Yeah, well that's does the not thing. Explain this. He, I was he watching apparently this. has some kind of knowledge of like this Some stuff, and so maybe he's, <laughs> but he he's powerless against the attack of the wheelchair later on. That was a money scene. I'll tell you. I, 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 I was watching this with Dawn. Dawn was my wife. She was in the same room with me watching this movie, and it was pissing her off because she was saying, "Now what? How are they going to explain that?" I kept saying, "They're not. Mm. I know these type of films. They're not going to explain what that happened." And it was near the end. It's like oh, you, they need to explain this. They need to explain this. It's like they're not. They just wrote some scenes and went shit. Nowhere to connect it. Never mind, let's go. Film. This, this is, only this is a film where Sue Lyon spends 15 minutes trapped in a sauna while a key ring has a flashback. And at the end of that time, she's still wearing a sweater. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the devil has the best tunes, but also the best insulation, apparently. As well. so, this, and, oh, I love to... The, the way that um, Jose Ferrer finds out that his wife is still alive is that there is a very specific radio report. <laughs> 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 <Not> specific <laughs> radio! <laughs> that tells... 
I've got an idea for so a that, a, <laughs> that a woman is in hospital who has lost her, who has amnesia. Exactly who that woman is, and yeah. probably yeah. the room number as oh, well. Yeah. Yes, the blonde. Yes, it was <laughs> yeah. she was blonde. Yes, she she looks a lot like Sue Lyons. Mention that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and his, his his whole reason for for wanting to basically murder her, it seems to just be that he's a little pissed off that he's in she's a wheelchair. Young. She's young. I mean the age gap between the two is ridiculous and there's this and bizarre scene where he's watching them play t- watching the film of her playing tennis. tennis yeah and then he gets out of his wheelchair and just kind of wanders around you go well maybe he's just faking it oh no and then he's getting chased by the demon car near the end but he can't get out of his wheelchair and nothing makes sense and if you don't know who sue Lyons is she played lolita in the stanley kubrick movie which is that 1962 or i think 56 or no i can't remember so, no you're right somewhere in the 60s because um, yeah, because killer's yeah. kisses i think uh 56 and killing is 60 so yeah and, and, and that, so, that's what kind of yeah. threw me right off that because sue Lyons. Uh, was born in 1946, and her husband, Jose Ferrer, was born in 1912, a 34-year gap. And then she starts getting a bit of a hot to Dr. Greg, and he's only 20 years older than her so and he is also the most boring thing so okay so we have we have this triangulation right you know because it's a third like um scenes with the amulets possessing wheelchairs and attacking dogs with them and that stuff's crazy wheelchairs they do not like wheelchairs (laughs) in this movie and and then yeah and then there's a third of like the car randomly pushing other cars off the road so they can explode or driving through police wheel Uh, and that and that's fun enough and then there's a third of like long dialogue scenes with the doctor. Very, very dull. Yeah, and I mean him and uh, what is uh, Kathy, his uh, assistant, uh, who's Leslie Parrish, mm-hmm. who you may remember from such uh, other 1970 uh, movies as the Giant Spider Invasion the previous year. So she was on a real winner there of roles, unfortunately. <laughs> That's actually quite fun. But well, she actually her and Sue Lyons did a film together. The Astral Factor, 1978, which was a couple of years after um, Crash. Yeah. That's all the interest ends there. But yeah. <laughs> I actually like Jose Ferrer's uh, run through the 1970s because, I mean, in the 50s he was winning Oscars and in 1976 uh, he did The Big Bus. Oh, fun film. An episode of Starsky and Hush. Oh, Big Bus is quite fun. Uh, he did Crash, followed by The Sentinel, followed by Dracula's Dog, Directed by one Albert Band, the father oh, right. of Charles Band, and yeah, and then he, oddly enough, he got his career back on track with uh, the Swarm in 1978. So. <laughs> Did the Swarm really get his career Probably on not, track? No. Or <laughs> probably um, not. No. Look, I just want to talk about the intercutting between these two stories. Oh, let's do that. Yeah, because Cam- we Cambridge. start we start with the car doing its evil thing. And then we have a sign that is it San Clemente? What was the town that they were in? Yeah, we saw it many times. Something the San Clemente. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it says it's thirty-eight miles away. Yep. The car seems to be going at speed. Quite a lot of speed. They're in this time, there's a fuckload of crashes. Yeah. Yeah, and and so while this car is traveling the country, this thirty-eight mile distance, which in kilometers <laughs> is roughly and he's going sixty k, say eighty um, miles an hour. On yeah, the seems roads. to be going like quite quickly. Yeah, we started with math. We it's with over math. nine days because we at some point we established <laughs> that she's been in the hospital at least a week, and I think there's been a night and a day 
um, before uh, the crash. So I worked out that at nine miles at four, you know, basically, like, so at, 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 at the car is going roughly four miles a day, which translates to a mile every six hours, which I don't think you, like, I think cars travel that speed naturally. I think there might have been some decisive, but the, the confusing part is, of course, we see him crash, we go and we do some other, you know, guff in the background. We come back, there's another crash, come back, big crash, boat crash. And then we get to the whole scene where Sulans gets locked in the sauna, sauna. and Big she scene. flashes back the, no, the keychain. The keychain, sorry, back. flashes back the Every entire crash. sequence of crashes. And I, I was saying, was that a the previous ones a flash forward, it's a reveal flash somewhere? To say that this is all happening in real time now because, of course, at the end of it, the car arrives at her house, as if it just did that thirty-eight mile journey during the flashback but then the rest of it is completely pointless so the only thing I could think of is they didn't have enough footage to make an entire 70 or 80 minute movie so they just showed everything twice so I like car crash movies I love car chase movies from the 70s but once you've seen the car crash you don't need to see it again and that's if you ever and especially because they use the same angles and they've already showed you the same angle six times in the crash first half. if you ever watched The Junk Man which was a follow up to Gone in 60 Seconds but it's good but the thing that annoyed me there was every time you'd have a crash, car crash, our director would start showing the rest of the chase and then cut back to show you the people getting out of the cars and cut back and cut back and getting out of the cars. It's like, this is a movie. It's not a documentary. We don't need to see them getting out of the cars right. and going, what happened? We know. You crashed. You're out of the movie. Goodbye, actually. Yeah. Get on with it. Which is where Vanishing Point is from beginning to end. You watch the chase. And yeah. when it slows down, it slows down perfectly to give you that breather to give you that atmosphere and then you move back on the other thing is I feel like they learned how to shoot with cars as it went on mm. because mm. the first scene in particular where the car knocks um, the cut that other car off the road yeah, that takes was the van out, yeah. so inept oh, it was yeah. so inept and by Maybe the end the it, yeah. I felt like they knew what they were doing but it was just um, yeah, yeah at the start I was like wow there's nothing like a good car crash movie and this is nothing like a good no, car crash so it's a way to show a car crash without actually having either of the cars moving just basically yeah. getting close ups of bumpers and waving it and ah and then that and whole every kind car of, we go down a bit an embankment at four kilometers an hour <laughs> sort of grind to a halt boom <laughs> every car was carrying nitroglycerin yeah. inside it every single one and I was you know I was supposed to, I was supposed the, the boat didn't explode I mean everything seemed to go up in flames but I will admit the finale scene of Jose Ferreira being chased at about six miles an hour by a convertible in a wheelchair. Why didn't he go back in the house? I was. Well, I thought that I thought that it was going to do the Kentucky Fried movie thing and like drive into the sauna to free her or something. And that, but it was actually even he, no. like he goes were, outside to see it and goes, "Well, there's that car that and just drives." A, he was still in the entrance. He could have t- wheeled he could have around him. and gone he back. He just drove and eventually it gives them. A gentlest tap I've ever seen. He <laughs> flies into a ditch and the car goes, fuck you, and jumps on jumps him. Jumps to its death because it <laughs> leaps on him. That's that how is... much it hates Jose Ferrer. <laughs> as much as Jose Ferrer hates his wife. Oh, and it's... <laughs> that is the only part. And if you, if, it, if that's on YouTube, just look at that clip. Because uh-huh. Jose Ferrer having a car suplex him to death. <laughs> Boom! Good night. It's Hashtag spoilers. Roll that credit. The evil car is kind of the good guy. <laughs> Even though it kills lots of innocent people along the way, it's still working for our hero. It should have one of those musical horns that plays Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's it's not a great movie, but then again, with Charles Band, well, it's his second movie out of the wow. 60 he directed. And the first one that he has the confidence enough to use his own name as a director. He was right. him the first time. And after that, it was off He's to producing the 12 movies this year. He starts production on his first tomorrow. Well, that's, I just looked yeah. up his Twitter account. I was going to say, so. that's that's probably this week. By next week, check that again, because yeah. it will it will definitely go up. Yeah, Charles Band is, is, I mean, it's a B-movie legend. You could, anything you pick up, anyone that can get Gary Busey to voice an evil gingerbread man is is all right in my books. So that is definitely on the list for springing on people later this year, the ginger dead man. Oh, God. Uh, can films. you tell me what day I need to be sick on? <laughs> um, all of them. <laughs> it's good that he's making more films. He's picking up the pieces, getting the band back together. Hey. Oh, wow, that was a long way around. Oh, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> on that note, I give um, Crash two bloody Sioux Lion eyes. I give that. I give that one flying body slam from a from a convertible. And I, I give it a keychain flashback. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, review, subscribe. You All that bastards. internet stuff. You know oh. how it works. You've been out there long enough. Yes. Come on. <laughs> yeah. We've Sin- been intending to say this for some time, and we don't know who you are or if you're listening, or actually, we really don't care, but we're going to keep doing this. <laughs> he anyway. cares a lot. Oh, I care, care a lot. Yeah, no. two thirds of us care. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't update the Twitter enough because I updated it the other day. I put the two links on it a couple of months ago, and I immediately got flagged for suspicious behavior because I suddenly was tweeting again and putting links to the same thing. Right. So they immediately and what's thought the I was taking over. The Twitter is at Ludspeckcast. And you can catch up with me at at the B Movie Vault. I'm at Dilla Monster, and uh, I'm at Lutzbeck. At Lutzbeck guy. Ah, that too. At Lutzbeck. Oh, yeah, Lutzbeck guy. Are you. I, I think it might be Lutzbeck. Show so often we use your account. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lutzbeck. But look, finger on the pulse, folks. Oh, we'll get this right. It's 2021. <laughs> the year has started well, apart from speed. But <laughs> and myriad puns that we won't uh, repeat. We've had, we've well, had we the pandemic. Let's them. not have a pandemic. A pandemic. Oh, <laughs> oh. And, and so until next time, take care. <laughs>